A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Support WrestleTalk. Give us a subscribe. Hey, everybody, I'm John Cena. Hey, it's professional wrestler Colt Boom Boom Cabana. Hey, I'm Double J, Jeff Jarrett. This is Rich Swan, Matt Riddle, the King of Rose. Support WrestleTalk. Support WrestleTalk. Support WrestleTalk. Do it, bro. Support Ollie. Support Luke. Support WrestleTalk. Support WrestleTalk. Home of Luke Owen. Whatever WrestleTalk is and whoever Luke Owen is, support the Raven. Nevermore. WrestleTalk. Hey there, Pod Slafters. I know it's been a while since we had one of these, but lockdown has been lasting a bit longer in the UK than initially thought, and we didn't want to burn through all of them and lease them all out so quickly, so they are going to be more staggered for the time being. Uh, but fear not, as this is a really busy week here at WrestleTalk HQ, and Double or Nothing 2 is coming this weekend, so there'll be reviews and thoughts on that show coming up. But for now, enjoy this Patreon archive review of TNA Unstoppable 2005, which features the iconic triple threat between AJ Styles, Samoa Joe and Christopher Daniels, and features my boy Raven defend his NWA World Championship against Rhino. Enjoy! Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to a very special broadcast. Tonight marks the return of a glorious Sunday spectacle. It's an American tradition, a new national pastime. No, I'm not talking about football. I'm talking about TNA Wrestling on Pay Per View. Tonight, far from the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field, all eyes are here at the Impact Zone. Tonight, before a worldwide audience, bat-detested veterans Raven and Rhino will engage in a battle of wills and smash mouth as they wage war for the prestigious NWA World Heavyweight Championship. But looming ever so precipitously will be the specter of the despicable Jeff Jarrett, a former champion with an unsavory reputation and dubious desires. And also tonight, you will see an unmatched display of pure, unmitigated athleticism as Christopher Daniels, Samoa Joe, and the phenomenal AJ Styles mix an aerial assault with a punishing ground game in a three-way battle for the X-Division Championship. Just look at the incredible scales of that man right there. And there. And yet again, there. That young man is truly phenomenal. Yes, you will see everything this great game has to offer. Tonight, you will see sacks, tackles, violent collisions, personal fouls, unnecessary roughness, illegal use of the hands, and dare I say, the pounds! Pardon me. Ladies and gentlemen, all my rowdy, rambunctious friends are here tonight. Are you ready for some wrestling? Welcome to Wrestle Ramble Extra. I am Ollie Davis and I'm joined by the other one, Luke Owen. How are you feeling about that nickname that you gave yourself, kind of? Well, yeah, sort of, I suppose. Uh, hello, Swap Nation. Hello, te- $5 and above pledge hammers. Thank you very much for hitting the download this button. We're making it rain with our hands. You can't see it. Just imagine the... We're, we're showering you with... The money you pledged? That's yeah. not how it works. No, brother. we don't. Thank even, you. We don't even really get the the physical money. Um, as with all online banking and sort of things, we just have a certain set of numbers that gets transferred into a bank account that has other numbers in it, and those numbers are then different because really the banking system is just ones and zeros. If the whole thing crashed, everyone's credit scores would just be reset to zero, and nothing would ever matter. All right, fine, club. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, because my wife is very hot on the old, like, you need to have your bank account in order. And I'm like, but it's not really money, is it? It's not real. 
Like, none of this is actually real. It's just a set of ones and zeros. This seems like the sort of excuse someone uses to not budget the household correctly. <laughs> it's a very dangerous approach to finance. It's less of that. It's less about why do I need to save money? Because it's mm. not real money. Like, it's not there. Like, I can't go to a bank account. I can't go to a bank and say, like, can I withdraw all of the money that's in my account? Because they, they don't go to, like, well, this is Luke's account and that's all the money in there. They just have to then try and find the no, funds. because we've moved on since the early 20th century. I, I know this. I'm just saying that this is, it's not real money. What you pay me isn't real money. You pay me ones and zeros. You pay me a digital figure. We're getting into a, like the question of what is money, though. <laughs> is money a physical object? You're just going to go home and buy loads of gold. <laughs> have that under the I'm mattress. I'm not Jeff Jarrett. Speaking We're of friends Jeff with him now. We're friends with him. Oh, you ruined my segue. I was about to say, yeah. speaking of Jeff Jarrett, hey. into a TNA thing. Yeah. But anyway, to answer your question on the other one and my, my thoughts on it. You're owning it. Yeah, I, well, I've got to. Um, <laughs> as, as, I, as I said to you. <laughs> said that like with a gun to your back. <laughs> really? Well, as I said to you, like in all of my friendship groups that I've ever had, like when I was at school when I was at university, after university. I've, all, I've never maintained friends. Like, people I was friends with at school with, I'm not friends now. People I was a friend with at school, like in secondary school, I'm not friends with now. You are quite off-putting. I only speak to one person I went to university with, but we haven't seen each other since we graduated. Oh, no, that's a lie. I saw him at a wrestling show. This is Grav. No, no, I worked oh, with him. Grab? Oh, okay. No, this is someone I went to university. This is Kel, who's actually a fan. He's um, he's not a pledgehammer, so he won't hear this. But I did see him at a couple of wrestling well, you shows. Well, can, you can be nasty to him if you like. Well, no, because he's just had a kid, and he's, he's a really nice guy. I'm, a, I'm actually spot. a big fan of him. Um, people that I've worked with at previous jobs, with the exception of my best man and a couple of others, I don't hold on to those friendships either. You're probably my longest friend at this point. No, or, you or went not. to see all your, your, your little gang of film marathon... Sleeping in a field, friends, just yeah, the so other th month. Those, those are essentially my longest friends. But even then, that was like, that's within the last eight years. Longest friends sounds like you judge them on height. <laughs> or something else. <laughs> um, but the point I was going to make is that even within all these various different friendship groups, I am always the butt of the joke. Mm. Like, I'm never the cool person ah. in a group. I'm never, I'm always beta. I'm never alpha. So it stands to reason that the, I've instantly become the butt of the joke now that Laurie's here and he's instantly so much cooler than me. Hey, Laurie could walk into most rooms and be the coolest guy Because he's guy so there. cool, right? I'm starting to think there's, this is a facade and he's actually quite self-conscious. I'm trying to trying to chip away at the arm, <laughs> see where these weaknesses are. Because he is too cool. He is yeah. too cool for school. Mm. And it, but chuck him in a tag team with Rikishi. <laughs> So yeah, so it's, it stands to reason that when Rich Swan found us at Wrestling MediaCon, he instantly knew your two names and forgot mine. Because that's just what happens, man. You so had you, been on holiday recently. So you just got to own these things. Mm. And that's fine, because otherwise, like, YouTube will just pick on me more than it already does. So I've got like, to own it and just start creating t-shirts out of it. I think that's the best that's way. The that's best the way Young Bucks way. Exactly. I, I was going to just start spoofing all of uh, AJ <laughs> Styles' merchandise. So he's the phenomenal one. I'm the <laughs> other one. And I was going to spoof Ricochet's. I'm the other one and only. You could you could get the gloves. <laughs> yeah. Or rather than a P, it's just an said o. an O. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that could be like Owen. 
0101 yeah see that works it works two ways I think we're having like a meeting mm. instead of uh, reviewing this episode of WrestleRamble I think you should extend out all those things you just spoke about like a David Starr style intro oh. the butt of all the mm, jokes, jokes. <laughs> uh, always the beta never the alpha <laughs> The other one. Yeah, the other one. The Bernie Sanders of friendship groups. (laughs) The Ross Geller of any friendship group. Anyway, what are we here to do today, Luke? So we are. Apart from five minutes of premium, premium wrestle ramble. This is what people pay for, really. I mean, this is. I think people would probably rather just hear us chat nonsense for two hours rather than review shows. We need. But if if you if you sit us down and say chat nonsense. I think we'll both draw a blank. Oh, well, that happens every month when we have to do yeah, the yeah. Patreon-exclusive like uh, videos for our $100 backers. But if you say, hey, you two, talk about this thing. Okay. You give, it, give us a subject. <laughs> yeah. We could probably riff off that subject for like a good, I'd say, seven minutes. Or avoid even approaching that subject for five minutes. Yes. By the way, just to set the scene, we are here in the murder room. This is probably the last patreon exclusive podcast we will record in these rather tatty walls and we are sipping on some lattes Mm. because we are cool i bet the cultaholic boys do it with beers probably yeah yep and gorilla position are now sponsored by brew dog um beer 52 yes but we're not drinking those while we do the podcast we are instead drinking your very hipster uh coffees Mm. Um, it's nice, isn't it? Yeah, it is actually. It's very nice. I'm quite enjoying it. I think I prefer the coffee from that place than I do Armstrong Audio. Too much of a, a Russian roulette of... Yes. It depends on who you are served by. One of whom is a fan. One of whom... Well, I mean, he hasn't said as much to me, but I... He's polite. He's, he's really very nice polite, polite. So he wouldn't want to... Impart, like, I went in there five times before he, yeah. he said. He's also very nice. Yeah. Like, he is beyond lovely. Um, so I'm I'm a big fan of going there, um, but thank you so Even though much. You just said that they no. They well, actually, but when he does the coffees, they're the best ones. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Um, thank you very much as well for stalling for time while I brought up the poll, so um, I could because I haven't done. I'm not fully prepared for this, but we are here today to review TNA Unbreakable 2005, which emanated from the Impact Zone at Universal Studios Orlando, Florida, from September 11th. 2005 uh, so this won the poll it was suggested by britain's next top model phil stopford and you didn't had a few hasn't he he has you didn't quite set the poll right so i did it my way which was wrong what so what did i do wrong because luke was you away didn't luke was... set an end date to start off with i swear i did no because it's still open now is it yeah well come on pwg <laughs> Still got time. Well, from Sean, far from bland, Blandford, which got 71 votes. It also, I do it by, you can only vote once, which you've done it so you can ah, vote multiple times. Oh, I didn't know that was an option. Yeah, and that's what does it then by percentages rather than just like the amount yeah, of votes yeah. that it's had. But so that had 71 votes. But this did win uh, with 107 votes. Uh, the net clear winner. And that PWG did come second. Well, um, in the, I, t- I tried to push people towards a certain one I wanted. Yeah. And it was the PWG show. Especially when I found out we could watch it on high spots. Oh, cool. Yeah, you could stream that that year. I'm like, did you see the card? Uh, I did not, Zach no. Zack Sabre Jr. versus Will, Will Ospreay. Ospreay. Lovely. There was this like crazy main event a, tag. A tan team tag with Cedric Alexander, Chuck Taylor, Jeff Cobb, Jushin Liger, and Tommy End, Alistair Black, 
uh, versus Brian and Brian Kendrick, Sammy Callahan, Pete Dunne, Matt Riddle, and Tommaso Ciampa. Hello, mate. I know. Oh. It's like it's interesting because we're going to talk today about TNA Unbreakable. I think this. Okay, sorry, go on. And that, like, one of the themes of this pay per view is the guys there are the future, like, are the, are the top stars now, I would say. Whereas that PWG show, you look at that, and those guys are, are the next three, four years top stars. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, there, there is, like, a, a delay in the... Ma- ahead of the curve, you both ca- these absolutely. shows were. But I suppose the question you're really asking is where did Dan come in the poll? Yes. <laughs> did you see what I wrote on his one? I, I did not. So I included... Because some people gave reasons for their submissions. Oh, you did? This is nice. Uh, and I, so I... I because I just didn't want to write the description. <laughs> yep. So I just took their description. So he voted, he suggested Night of Champions 2010. Come on, Dan. Well, uh, the 2010, yeah. And this was Dan's quote. It, it had the women's title unification, which marked the beginning of the end of the first brand extension. Undertaker taking on Kane in a great feud. Daniel Bryan winning his first singles title in WWE against The Miz. And Wade Barrett wasting his NXT Season 1 championship opportunity in a six-pack challenge. And then I put my little caption underneath it. Go home, Dan. You're drunk. And Dan commented, I don't drink. You've got no excuse then. Yeah, he does love a certain period of WWE. Well, to, to his credit, I think historically that's quite a fascinating it is, show really with is. all those bits. Well, the one I was most interested in, however, was um, Rise Above Will... It's not hate, is it? We've been saying it wrong. Height. Height. Height or something. Yes, H I. Yeah, we need to get it right. H A I G H D. Which was Unforgiven 2001, which mm. I find a fascinating pay per view because that was like the first wrestling pay per view after 9 11. And it has this real feel of WWE where they were like, we do have an invasion storyline to do. However, this country is in a bit of a pickle at the moment and we're all in a state of mourning. So let's just do lots of happy things and kind of ignore the storylines. And we'll just do this really nice thing where Kurt Angle wins the title in his hometown and it'll be this really good, feel-good moment. And then the next night they were like, we need to get back to storylines. Austin needs the title back. So it took an unprecedented national, international tragedy to make WWE satisfy the fans send them home happy put over a star in their hometown (laughs) pretty much so we are reviewing tna unbreakable 2005 and i've got to be honest as much as i was really like i was very intrigued to talk about unforgiven 2001 and pwg and pwg and actually that night of champions this is me Honestly, this I am jazzed to talk about this pay-per-view. You and I watched this together. Yeah. As soon as this pay-per-view started, I felt just so much at home. Because this took me right back to when I first got back. I got back into wrestling in early 2005. And you wore the same clothes that you were wearing as, as well, just to make it even more. And I was wearing these clothes when I was first watching <laughs> wrestling in the late 90s and early 2000s. Because I fell out of love with wrestling yeah. after the invasion, as most people did. And I got back into uni- uh, at university. My housemate, the housemate I spoke about, Kel, he was a, uh, a wrestling fan. And the first pay-per-view I watched to get me back into wrestling was New Year's Revolution 2005, which is the Elimination Chamber where Batista was still in evolution, but he was teasing, turning on Triple H and winning the World Heavyweight Championship, mm-hmm. which he did. And at that time, I was like, Batista is the best and John Cena is the best. They're like the two best guys wow. in this business. Oh, in this company at the very least. And I didn't like Triple H because I still had all those holdovers from oh, 2000. Yeah, the Reign of Terror. The Reign of Terror. Um, and so, like, uh, but I, so I got back into wrestling there. And then my other housemate, a guy called, funnily enough, Ollie, 
um, he liked a lot of the indie stuff. So we used to go to FWA shows because that was in Portsmouth. That's where I used to see Alex Shane and Doug Williams and Jody Fleisch and Johnny Storm. And I was like, wow, this is like this amazing crop of British wrestlers I had no idea about. And then he introduced me to TNA. And I, it was TNA Victory Road 2004, was that, which was their very first pay-per-view they did. And I was like, well, this is unlike anything I've ever seen before because it didn't feel like a WWE show. It felt like the anti-WWE show, which is what it presented itself as. And I was like, this is this is the greatest. And I then became obsessed with TNA. Absolutely obsessed with TNA. And I was watching it all the time. I was finding any stream I could of their TV show. I was trying to get all my friends but who would watch wrestling previously, like when we used to watch it as uh, friends. Convert them. Trying to convert them, exactly. I'd be like, dude, you've got to see this AJ Styles guy. He's amazing. Christopher Daniels, he's so cool. Like, And trying to get them, Raven's there. Look, Raven's wrestling. And I'm trying to introduce them this way. And... Um, and it was, it was, you know, they didn't get on, they didn't go on to it because they just literally gave up on wrestling and never returned. And a lot of some people, not a lot of people, just like WWE. Like I wouldn't say it's not that they don't like wrestling, but the idea that wrestling can be anything else other than this huge production value style is just that they don't, yeah, they don't you know, yeah. gel with them. Yeah. And, I, and I don't think that's particularly wrong either. That's obviously the way that people see things. Adam Biblo of the Attitude Era podcast, when they reviewed a WCW show, he was like, oh, God, to be honest, from the get-go, I couldn't get into the show because it just, it feels so different. It's, mm. I don't like the way it's shot. I'm used to a certain way the wrestling looks. I don't like the way this is shot. The sound mix is horrendous. And because just sort of picking out things that WWE do very pristinely. That when you watch a show like this where, I mean, Petey Williams comes out to the wrong bloody music. And it's not for a little bit. It's for a long time he comes out to the wrong music. Yeah, he just embraces it, doesn't he? <laughs> he there's a, a brief angry look back over the shoulder. Literally, then, literally All like, right, I'll walk out then. And he's, just got, he's got quite the pounce on him. Yes. But we'll, we'll get on to that. But um, so, yeah, I was and this was like really my era of TNA. Uh, as I was saying to you, they, they were off FSN. And they were about to move to Spike. So they had a period where it's they... huge. Absolutely Imagine huge. Imagine that back in the day, like, a, another wrestling promotion had proper national TV. Yeah. Like, we're talking, like... Well, I mean, what do you know what the ratings were they used in those to get, early days? That's when they got the million yeah. uh, viewership. And they just maintained that million viewership right pretty much up until the day they were taken off Spike through mismanagement, essentially, mm. because Spike said don't have Vince Russo on your writing staff. So they said, well, we haven't. They, they did, <laughs> but they didn't tell Spike. And then Vince Russo went to email. Do you know the story? Yes. And he went to email Mike Tanay, but instead emailed Mike Johnson at PW Insider. And so PW Insider were like, yeah, Vince Russo is still writing for TNA. And that got them kicked off Spike. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, so this was like the 1.1s, yeah, 1.2s. And whatever they did brought in Hulk Hogan, Jeff Hardy came back. Yeah. All these and things. And that killed the company because they moved to Monday night and everyone stopped watching. Yeah. Well, it, it was still getting those 1.1 millions. When they moved to Monday night, that just, it steadily, you could watch it week by week. It just went less and less and less. Right. It started at the one. Then the next week it was nine, next week it was eight, next week it was six, and it just kept dropping. Oh, I didn't and know it went down that far. It went down really but quickly. But are you talking about ratings yes. or viewership numbers? Viewership numbers. Right, yeah. And because everyone was just watching Raw, people didn't want to make the choice. Mm. But when it was on Thursday nights, when it was unopposed, that million people who just wanted to watch wrestling would watch TNA. I, it's, it's a shame when people who have amazing ideas, like Eric Bischoff, take me, you know, very ballsy strategies take me against monday night raw live had a huge wrestling boom and you're like oh, i wonder what he's gonna do next 
oh, he's just done the same thing again. So he's, oh, it's kind of a one-trick pony. And never learned from any of the mistakes he made yeah. either. Like, he literally made all the same mistakes again. Like, he looked at WCW and was like, God, that was a foolproof plan. <laughs> what, an, what an ingenious business concept I had that was never going to fail. As brilliantly pointed out, in the death of WCW, which has uh, a sort of epilogue addendum, and it has all of the mistakes that TNA made. Yeah. And they are... That, that, saying TNA, does that feel a bit weird to you? Because I've now finally conditioned myself... <laughs> to say impact. To say impact, because we got friendly with Don Callis. Yeah, I know, but I'm... Because I'm like reverting back 13 years, I just feel like I'm back into saying TNA all the time. It's like, it's, it's fascinating to, because it's like a different promotion. Mm. Like WWE, you can go back to any stage and there'll be a McMahon there. So it's kind of... Triple the, H will be on top. Yeah, there's, there's a thread there where you can drop in at any point and it still feels like WWE. This has the six sides, yep. which, you know, it comes and goes as it, as it pleases. Yep. And... It just feels like a completely different sh- like promotion. It really, and, really does. And to, to to your stuff about when you discovered TNA, I got into TNA uh, because I was I wouldn't watch WWE. I was out of that uh, after the invasion. Similar time, it was the Stephanie McMahon's dog storyline that killed it for me. <laughs> and uh, but I went to uni. My friend Dan, my best friend at uni, Dan, who I lived with, like was following WWE still, and he got into TNA. And I was like, well, I'll give TNA a go. And I just fell in love with it. So that would have been 2007. Oh, good year. Yeah. But like, that's like Vince Russo back years. Yeah, So, and I loved it. And I was, you know, I, we'd watch that. Uh, so like Angle was like a staple of TNA yeah. by that point as well, because he debuted in 2006. Yeah, so all like this stuff, this was like hallowed history. Mm. Like the unbreakable, the three-way. They, they'd talk about that as yeah, if it yeah. was like, what's, what's the word? Like, you know, I, iconic. I, iconic. And so... But like, I never watched this whole pay-per-view. I'd seen this match. Yeah. Uh, the, the the main event, that is, the, the famous match that arguably made TNA on this show. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Like, I, so around this time, I was bootlegging or getting bootleg DVDs off eBay. Really? You weren't, like, torrenting and stuff like that? Nope, didn't know how to torrent, mate. So right. I was getting stuff. I was bootlegging things off eBay. I'm like, I'm a tape trader. So that's the way I do I things. sort you out. We, we did it. We did it all through torrents. So, um, LimeWire Lime Wire didn't exist. Well, it was on Bravo over here yeah. in, in the UK. Yeah, so I had to get, I had to bootleg them, uh, get them on DVD, uh, like, basically just copied discs that they would just um, send out. Uh, and that's how I saw this. Usually I was getting, like, you know, a week after they had aired. I was so excited. Mm. And around, I, was, I was saying around this time when they were in between FSN and Spike, they were airing Impact on their website. So I could watch it week to week. I could watch the TV product week to week. And then watch live. the... Like, not live, live but, but yeah. pretty much on the day. And then watch the pay-per-views. And that was great. Because I was like... It was like watching Raw on a week-to-week basis. And I was just so into the product. It was an hour long, so it's very easy to watch. And I was like, this is just the best. Mm. And I, would, I just became absolutely obsessed with this company the turning point really was Slammiversary the turning point 2008 uh, was Slammiversary 2005 because that's when Raven won the NWA title and all of a sudden I was like well this is my company so this was about four months before this show we're going to talk about yes about three yeah about three months I think maybe two three months because Sacrifice precedes this show yes because I think it was I think it was Sacrifice no Slammiversary then Sacrifice then this sure yeah I'm pretty sure that's the, the order of things because that was the tag match with Raven and Sabu against Rhino and Jeff Jarrett. Planet, Planet Jarrett, as it was. Um, but anyway, we are here. It is 2005, September 11th, 2005. And the question on everyone's mind, 
is what was the number one film at the box office. Ugh. Now, you and I have already had a mini discussion about this. I've already started to try and guess. Yeah. And I know it isn't Fantastic Four. Yes, because we were talking about it's September. We're well past blockbuster season at this point. No one's releasing blockbusters after August. No, it's not. that. That's a, that's a post-Guardians of the Galaxy trend. Uh, ooh, I'd be so amazed if you got it. Is it a comedy? No. Is it a drama? No. Number two is a comedy, though. Is it a romance? No. Is it a horror? Yes. Right, okay. And it's not The Exorcist being reissued again. Uh, is it like The Exorcist beginning or something? Oh, man, you're actually not too far off. It's like a saw? No, it, it's... I mean, the that word you've said there is in the title. The Exorcism of Emily Rose. That's the one! <laughs> hey, that's a good film. Yeah. Scott Derrickson. It is, he yeah. He went on to direct Doctor Strange. $36 million on its opening weekend off a $19 million budget. Already made its uh, money that. back. Love that. And, and number two, an ITV2 staple... The 40-Year-Old Virgin um, retained its number two spot with 10 million. The week previous, Transporter 2 was at number oh, one. and it That is mid-noughties. And it dropped to number three. It was last week's number one, and it earned 9.5 million, dropping 60% from its first week to second week. It's a high drop-off. It's a big... Uh, would you like to have a guess of what was number one? Obviously, oh. in America, it's very difficult. Mm. I don't... I know the song title, but I don't think I could sing it to you. I do know the artist is very famous. 2005 mm -hmm. Aguilera No It is a female singer though I'll be honest with you The UK one is a much more Fascinating discussion So let's try and get through this As quickly as possible Give me a clue um, of, uh, mm, Big warbly singer Has a massive Christmas song um, Whitney No um, the other, Mariah There you go Mariah Carey Oh she came back And the music video Is like On a racetrack uh, I don't know. Tell me. Uh, I think she wears silver. We I belong together. <laughs> we belong together. Yeah. Okay. But okay. So number one, uh, the UK number one is far much more interesting. Because as soon as okay. I saw this, I got very excited by it. So hazard a guess at where you by, think this is. By the is. way, I would have been sixteen or seventeen. <laughs> uh, I'm at university. No. Uh, you know, in time scale wise. So what do we think? 2005. UK number one. UK 2005. One. Yep. Is it a Robbie comeback? No. Is it like a rude box? No. No. Is it Kooks? Oh, no. No, no. Is it no. the Ordinary Boys? No. No. Because this is around the time of the the UK guitar band. Well, this were, is... Were popular. This so is like a, a Franz Ferdinand. This is Kasabian. a UK band. No, no, no. No, you need to think um, less of that sort of like re Britpop coming back esque thing this is a British band although actually ooh, I don't want to give you too many clues mm. there is a good Britpop connection to this band though is it Gorillaz? it is ah okay so 2005 Gorillaz that's not their first album second album so it's Dare yes yeah with Sean Ryder <laughs> Sean Ryder from the Happy fun. Mondays oh that's my favourite bit of the podcast <laughs> thank you everyone thank you for the five dollar pledge hammer uh, yeah Dare, what a song that is. It's Dare. Dare, whoa. It's coming up. It's mm. coming up. Because I'm a massive fan of the Happy Mondays. So I was just happy to see Sean Ryder was getting some work. So this was, uh, it's called Dare because he couldn't say the words it's there. And yeah. It was too munted on the day of recording. <laughs> yep. Fun yeah. fact for you. Great. Do you know the song um, Inagara Vida? 
And I got a beat Yeah, that song hey, is it's in The Simpsons. Yes, that song is meant to be called In the Garden of Eden. Yeah. But he drank a whole bottle of wine before he went in and was just slurring his words. I didn't know that. Just, I always thought it should be The Garden of Eden. Yeah, and he's saying, In the Garden of Eden. That's, yeah. a, that's a long song. It is a <laughs> very long song, which is the joke in The Simpsons. Yeah, yeah. This sounds like rock <laughs> yeah. and oral. Is that is it because they're all just smashed? It's like, <laughs> I'm just gonna spend the next three minutes soloing on this keyboard. <laughs> it's kind of the opposite of um, Black Sabbath. You know, Paranoid was written as like a last minute thing because the album had to be over a certain length. Wow! And they were like, oh, we need to just record this song in half an hour, and so they wrote Paranoid, and it's like their most popular song ever. Yeah, there's 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 quite a few. Th- I mean, they're probably outlier stories that the ones you remember. As mm. the Rolling Stones' Satisfaction was written in 45 minutes. Oh yeah. When uh, can't remember the name of the Rolling Stones manager, but they just effectively locked Keith and uh, Mick in a room and was like, "Do something! Write a song! Write together. a song!" And he, they did. Yep. Turned out all right, but the bet is probably an urban myth. Well, well I'm, I'm, unlike those uh, Paul McCartney stories he's been telling recently about him and John Lennon. Oh, it's my new favourite story. <laughs> Come told, together. Told on September 11th, no less. Mm. Speaking of like trying to bring things back to How TNA Unbreakable. <laughs> um, would you like to hear what... 17 years <laughs> after a thing that happened, he has the audacity <laughs> to recall a masturbation story in an interview. He's just like, I think now's the time to yeah. tell this story on September 11th. Excellent. Good well, so work, no Paul. one's allowed to do anything on September 11th any year from now. No. Oh, speaking of which, though, have you listened to the um, something Tobias with with um, Pritchard talking about the SmackDown after 9/11? It popped up in my feed, but I've got limited podcast time at the moment. So uh, no. It is good. Um, there's a, Pritchard's a bit defensive about it. He doesn't like talking about the subject, which mm. is why it's quite an interesting one to talk about. Like he he admits that he didn't watch the show. Like he tried. He said, "I just burst into tears and I couldn't watch it." It's it's a difficult. It's one. a difficult. I've actually yeah. tried to rewatch that episode as well. The episode of SmackDown after nine eleven. And it is difficult to watch because it's like the first gathering of people. Yeah, it's the day after, right? Uh, two days after. Two yeah, days and it's after. hard to kind of like re-step into that time frame. Oof. And um, but they do bring up Stephanie McMahon's promo that she cuts, where she essentially says, "This is just like when the federal government came after my dad and my family." and try to tear us apart. And everyone was like, oh, it's not though, is it? It's not like that. I, she, she's lived a very sheltered life. Well, Pritch- In her mind, it's probably like that. Pritchard's argument is just like, that was her feelings at the time. You can't say that she's wrong. And Conrad's like, Conrad's like, <laughs> I mean, you can a bit though. You can definitely say she's wrong, but you can also understand and that she's had a very warped upbringing. Well, that's not all he says. Yeah, he just goes yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, he goes. To her, it is the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Some people think Becky Lynch is a heel. <laughs> Some people, like Road Dog and Goldust, just think you're wrong. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so we haven't got anything from the Wrestling Observer because 2005 observers are not in the archive. Mm. But we what's do- he trying to hide <laughs> when he was calling all those women fat? <laughs> But we do have uh, words from Figure Four online, which is when Brian Alvarez, this is before he started doing Brian and Finney, <laughs> but he is just like, it feels more like a blog than a newsletter. Um, I and- like Brian Alvarez more every day. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> He's very good in this, but like, do you want to hear his thoughts on TNA at the time? Hit us up. 
The bad news is that it appears they're building up to Jeff Jarrett being thrown hardcore back into the mix and likely winning the world title again. So we preface this by saying they put a lot of focus on the X Division and that's the good news of the pay-per-view. Um, you don't know how great it's been to have only seen Jeff Jarrett once per month in very limited doses this summer, but on this show he was back bitching about his belt and he ended up being laid out by Raven with a DDT following the Raven vs Rhino world title match. Seeing him laying there flat on his back made me realise that most likely he's winning the belt back soon, probably <laughs> from Raven, and starting a slow build towards putting over Monty Brown down the road. This is very bad news. While my friends and I are not indicative of every TNA fan, I can tell you that among uh, can tell you among the folks I know, Jared is still getting the wrong kind of heat. He he isn't getting that God. I can't wait to see someone kick his ass heat. He's getting my God. He's going to kill this company right when they're finally getting a legit chance to make it heat. Mm, interesting. And, and I think that's actually. I was a TNA fan, and I was like, mm, yeah, I'm not really that keen on seeing Jeff Jarrett on top. That's why when AJ Styles was the champion, when Raven won it. And I was like, yes, this is great. AJ's champion, then Raven's champion. Now he's facing Rhino. These are like different people. I was kind of into Monty Brown. I thought Lance Hoyt was going to get a big push. And I was like, there's all these different names you can put in there. Jeff Jarrett is champion. Like in a couple of weeks, Jeff Jarrett will be champion again. He he beats Raven on a house show. Really? Oh, yeah, because part of the deal. Well, this is it. The urban legend is this is what uh, the Jarretts will tell you that the deal with Spike was that Jarrett had to be champion for the first show. So. I mean, that very much fits the the Jarrett urban myth law. Yeah. Uh, I so my I've got an interesting relationship with Jarrett because he's I, your new friend. Yeah. Well, I got into like when I got into TNA around that time, Jarrett was also being positioned as this savior-like figure. That's right. He was. Yeah. yeah so I always saw he was like, a babyface, and I didn't really know. I wasn't reading dirt sheets. I just like took what the promotion and TV told me and they even released like King of the Mountain and I thought oh my god he's amazing yeah. and he had this match that was okay and I was like this is amazing <laughs> yeah. and I you know I told you uh, that I went out and I bought this King of the Mountain four disc DVD box set the day it was released from HMV for like 29.99 and that's 40 that's like 400 pounds <laughs> and Brexit's taking its toll yeah, on everything. Yeah, it's tough going. <laughs> and uh, th th then, like all this, th then I got into like the behind-the-scenes stuff, and it. Everyone says Jarrett's just awful for everything. Well, Jarrett's reign as TNA, as the World Heavyweight Champion, as NWA Champion, was essentially like Triple H's reign of terror mm. in like that 2003-2004 time, where it just like every pay-per-view ended with winner, winner, and Jarrett's music, and like everyone's going. Oh, Jarrett is still the champion. Yeah. And it was just like he did the thing with the, the the Kings of Wrestling, which was him, Kevin Nash, and Scott Hall. And everyone was like, let's just give some new guys a shot rather than just you like Bound for Glory, which is meant to be their next big pay-per-view. That's headlined. Well, it was it was meant to be headlined by Jeff Jarrett versus Kevin Nash. Like that's their big gambit. Like that's their big pay-per-view and to get in front of everyone. And it's 2005 and it's Jarrett versus Nash. A WCW main event from 1999-2000, and it just you look at it, it's like it's like Eric Bischoff. You've learned nothing from the mistakes that company made. Or maybe you're trying to get the WCW lapsed fan back in. I wonder and if that's you, part of the plan. Actually, yeah, yeah like the shout. mid and undercard would make them stay for the future. Yeah. So it's not it's not an 100 percent bad idea. Like if you said this is the idea and this is why, yeah, I'm gonna oh, worth a go. Well, do you know who did think it was a bad idea? 
Jer- now for Jerry us. Jarrett. Uh, yeah, all oh, right. Jerry Jarrett. Well, like, so Jerry and Jeff started this company together, and Jerry he did an interview with um, Dave Meltzer and Brian Alvarez, where he said, "Jerry, yeah, Jerry, who, who is Jeff's father, Jeff's father." And he said, "And I gave I gave Jeff very simple instructions. I said, do not hire anyone involved with WCW because that company died, yeah, and we don't need any of them coming here and making this company die as well." Oh, interesting. And the first thing he did was hire Vince Russo and hire like Tony Schiavone to do commentary his and, mates, yeah. and all of his mates. And uh, Jerry was like, he got out of it quite quickly. He was like, this is just going to be WCW wow. all over again. Wow. Because um, yeah, I knew I knew there was a rift between Jerry and Jeff, Jeff because of that. And do you know where? And do you know what that resulted in? Do you know what the biggest casualty of all of this? Kozlov. Kozlov was meant to be the next big TNA star, and Jerry was going to take him to TNA. And then, because Jarrett did what Jeff did, what he did, Jerry was like, "I'm going to take him to WWE. See how you like that." So he took Kozlov over to WWE, where he was going to be this big top star for them. And then he became the comedy geek with Santino because it turns out he wasn't that good. Hey, tea time with Santino. That one segment. <laughs> that one segment. Kozlov will go down in history for that. So, um, Brian Alvarez continues, TNA strength is the X Division. I don't think anyone can deny that. They need to be different from WWE, and that's the X Division. It's about as different from WWE as is possible in US wrestling in 2005. It defines the company. And then, right in the middle of it, is this old-school, ground-based, <laughs> southern-style wrestler straight out of 1995 WWF, who is average in absolutely every way, <laughs> and is pushed as the biggest star in the company. This isn't WCW in the mid-90s when the Cruiserweights were having awesome matches, and Hogan and his cronies were drawing the money. Jared is drawing no money. In fact, during the time that he's been on top here the past three years, the company has lost $20 million or more, and they want to put him back on top. TNA have lost $20 million by 2005? Yes. Because Panda came in and saved the company. This is Panda Energy Days. Whoa. Like so, Panda came. So they they started in two thousand and three. Yeah, and I think by two thousand four they were going to go out of business, and then Panda came in and essentially saved them and just gave them. It was like billionaire Ted. It was like a, you know blank check, yeah. and they could just spend money. So Panda Energy for everyone was owned by Bob Carter, who is Dixie Carter's father. And the story is that Bob Carter and Panda Energy bought TNA to make to make Dixie Carter busy. Essentially, because he didn't want... This is urban legend. This is like from interviews and people who worked in the company. Bob Carter did not want Dixie Carter involved in Panor Energy. So he bought her a project to run on her own. And she loves wrestling. And she loves wrestling. Yeah. So that's, the, that's that story anyway. Do you want to know what WWE were putting on at the same time? So probably some version of Cena and Orton. No, that's later, isn't it? That's a few that's years two, later. That's 2006. So, uh, I mean, One Night Stand would have been the a couple of months prior. That's right. It would have been, actually, yeah. Uh, oh, I don't know. Tell me the other Well, this was a raw-branded pay-per-view. Um, it opened with Ric Flair defeating Carlito. Wow. Yep. That uh, really does date at <laughs> a certain time. Oh, you want to hear something that dates it? Next up was a tag match between Ashley Mazzaro and Trish Stratus oh. defeating the Ladies in Pink. Which I, I don't know what that is. Neither did I. It's Tori Wilson and Victoria. Right. Uh, up next, Big Show defeated Snitsky. Nice. Which I'm sure was a five star classic. Shelton Benjamin defeated Kerwin White. Chavo Guerrero, that was his new gimmick. Because <laughs> there's a, a writer or like a, d- a director backstage called Kerwin, uh-huh. and they, it was a bit of a rib on him. Hilarious. It was basically it was Chavo Guerrero realizing he was never going to get over as a Latino star, so he tried to get over as a white guy, and he like came out in golf gear 
um, and talked about his golf buddies and things like that. It was um, it didn't didn't last long because Eddie died and then he just became Chavo mm. Guerrero again. Um, Matt Hardy defeated Edge. This is where Matt Hardy came back after the whole of Edge course. and Lita stuff. Yeah, because that was heavily referenced on One Night Stand. It certainly was. Lance Cade and Trevor wow. Murdoch. That was the the match where Edge just won and. Well, this is this is the cage match that came after. This was ah, a month after when Matt nice. did his top rope leg drop off the cage, which is one of the reasons why he now says that his back, his pelvis is fused with his spine. Yeah, and he's now retired. And he's now retired. Uh, Lance Cade and Trevor Murdoch defeated Hurricane and Rosie. Wow. R.I.P. Uh, Rosie. A match that I'd imagine everyone was talking about. Shawn Michaels defeated the master lot, Chris Masters. <laughs> uh, Masters is good these days. Yeah. I don't know why he can't stick with... Uh, a promotion no must be quite he was in, he was in tna for a bit wasn't he yeah recently as chris adonis yeah, yeah with um uh eli drake yeah eli drake he was massively over a media con people mm. loved eli drake and in the main event it was kurt angle defeating john cena by dq when cena hit angle with the belt so that was what wwe were presenting at the same time so you can almost see why people were starting to watch tna they want an alternative yeah. they wanted an alternative but this was pre pg WWE, it was, yeah. Which, was I, which I really felt was my personal driving away from it. Uh, well, it going PG. Yeah, so PG was 2007. Seven, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was like more or less after the Benoit. And that's, I just couldn't stomach any of WWE at that time. So I, that's when I got into TNA. And when John Cena spray painted JBL's car saying JBL is poopy. So how about that TNA? Yeah, well, this is it. I, and it brings us all around to this. Like, so the TNA, like, and I remember this as well. Like, the TNA would go, chugga, 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 and lots of faces of people. And you can hear in the background, Hail Saban, Chris Saban's music. Chugga, 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 and this is TNA, the new face of professional wrestling. I'm like, yes, it is. I was right back. It was 13 years ago. I was wearing the same clothes, but I was at university, probably smoking, and drinking during the day and watching TN Bloody A. But... This event is also dedicated to the unbreakable spirit of the American people. Yeah, so this this opened, this title card, this event is dedicated to the unbreakable spirit of the American people, opens the show. Because it is, and I was like, oh, because it's September 11th. This would have been four years after. Just four years after. Yeah. Yeah, crazy to think. And uh, yeah, that, that was the only time it was mentioned. Really. No, it wasn't. It was mentioned again later on in the show. Okay, well, it wasn't. Like, if this was WWE, there'd be video packages every other segment. Oh, so. yeah, with, like, shots of cornfields and, yeah, you know, yeah. and a bald eagle. So, so I thought this was a, actually... A, and calling the, the show unbreakable, it's just quite it's a nice way to treat it, I Yeah, I, I agree, actually. And when Mike Tanay does do it, it does feel very unorganic. And it almost feels like... He starts it, and then I feel like he almost regrets doing it. Because mm. our commentators are Mike Tanay and Don West... One of the most charismatic telly salesmen you've ever seen, but not the world's greatest color commentator. Hey. He's passionate. Yeah, I'll give him that. I was never the biggest on West fan. He does just does everything like this. He just shouts and always says, "Right there." That was my biggest bugbear of yeah. his. It was like that was an amazing move right there. He there were part I remember in my early TNA days of just it being almost unwatchable when he would commentate, but when he turned heel, it was like a different man. He was a really good heel commentator. Yeah. And, you know, did a lot behind the scenes. Yeah, absolutely. And actually... I really I, liked on West. What I did like about Tanay and West, and I reminded myself of it on this show, is you can tell that they are passionate about this. Mm. Like, they love this product. And yeah. they really enjoy commentating on this wrestling that's happening. Don West, in particular, loves what's going on. He's massively into everything. He's into all the guys. 
like like the fans are. And I think that comes across in the commentary. It's passionate. It's not it's not directed, but it's passionate. Especially because we watched uh, what was it? Destination X 2011. Yes, that was our last TNA pay per view we revisited with TNA and, and Jeremy Borash. Borash. And they sounded bored. Oh yeah, there were times where it felt like you even said, "I don't think they're there." Yeah, because it felt it like was put on afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. It was recorded three days later. Um, uh, but yeah, like five years, six years before then, <laughs> they were they were into it. It's not only the uh, the anniversary of nine eleven on this show though. The football season is back, and as such, the opening video package is is a parody of the football season being back with like a guy who's like. It's American football season, and the guys from TNA are coming out to the football field. There'll be hard tackles and lots of other football-related stuff that I don't quite understand. Dun 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 dun. dun, dun. Yeah, it's like the sports center music. Yeah. Uh, so it was quite. This was a. This is a fun. Really <laughs> fun opening video. Package. I sound like I'm taking the mic, but I genuinely no, enjoyed no, no. it because it's it's so wrestling as well. But like you know, and it's like people doing these big moves, and because we've got like Monty Brown doing the pounce as a former NFL player himself, and the commentators is like, and there may even be the pouncer. <clears throat> yeah, I'm sorry. Period. Yeah, it's uh, but when this started, I hated it. But by the end of the video package, I had a big grin on my face. It was a really fun way to get over all the storylines, yeah. your main players, and some moves. Yeah, this is not like... You remember the WWE ones we've done where they've opened with, like, like the Armageddon one? We're like, the end is near! And it's like shots of Armageddon, like explosions and houses like igniting and things like that. Or, like, you know, it's like... These guys are going to face Money in the Bank 2011. By the way, I think we've been doing this for a year now. Um, um, you know, things like, if you lose, you're fired and all this sort of stuff. This is just like, it's TNA and it's the football season. And it's a parody to open it. They do serious videos later on. But yeah. this one is very much, let's have some fun. Yeah, it pretty much says, hey, you're going to enjoy yourselves yeah. here. Settle in. And that there's a bit where it's showing all the AJ flips. And he goes, and you'll enjoy this guy flipping. And here. And, and here. here. And here. And of different shots of him flipping. Absolutely. It is really good. And it's, yeah, just great. a quick shot of a very young SoCal Val. Yes, she wasn't in the rest of the show. No, she was. She was at ringside, but you didn't see ah, her. Yeah, like yeah. she didn't become like because essentially her job was she collected coats, so like wrestlers would come down, take off their jackets, and then hand them to her. But she must have been like seventeen, eighteen. Yeah, she said that she joined TNA when she was eighteen when we mm. were interviewing her for WOS, which is crazy to think. Um, I do think though that the uh, the music that they've got for the show is not great. I didn't really pick up on it. It's not great. Mm. I mean, my note here is it's pretty rubbish. I can just remember the the NFL football music. And they announce as well that Raven's title defense against Rhino is going to be defended under Raven's rules. That was decided on the pre-show. It does. And sparklers go off to open up this pay-per-view. Yeah, some indoor pyro. 2005 TNA can afford pyro, but today WWE can't. What the heck ends? And this first match... Oh man, like talk about being transported right back. <laughs> this music hit and I just instantly sat up and I was like, it's the diamonds in the rough. Yeah, and I had no idea what was <laughs> happening. Uh, so yeah, the, the, end, the, the look of the stage is pretty cool. I like that it's kind of an entrance tunnel. Yes. It felt very WCW dragged into the sort of metal 
aesthetics of the noughties. Yeah, you could tell that it's shot on a soundstage. Mm. Because the way they used to do it was that you had tunnels at either end. Yeah. And that was the babyface locker room at one end and the heel locker room at the other end. So the wrestlers would come down from opposite ends. Yeah, that's very old school. Now they just come out of the uh, the same one. But our opening contest is a six-man tag. It's the Diamonds in the Rough versus Three Live Crew, which is the team of... Road Dog or BG James as he is here, R Truth or Run the Truth Killings, and Conan. And you said to me, like when they came out, because this is a lot of stuff that you had, you're like, don't know who that is, don't know who that is, don't know who that is. When Three Live Crew came out, you you went, Did he just say Conan? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, Yeah, he was part of Three Live Crew. Yeah. Yeah, and Conan is a unit. <laughs> Conan. I'm used to I've just gotten used to Conan from today, where he's, you know, a little bit a little bit I don't want to say chunky, he might hunt me down and hurt me yeah but yeah he's 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 a he's got a dad bod but this is conan of i'm a hairy unit man he is such a unit here he's massive like jeff cobb yeah he's huge but so so, so a bit of background on the diamonds and we've the got rough. a six-sided ring as well oh yes just yeah. to set the scene for this six-man tag um, so a bit of background on the Diamonds in the Rough. Simon Diamond. Please, because I have no idea what's happening. So Simon Diamond was of ECW fame. Um, one of my favorite gimmicks in ECW. Um, and he essentially came in as sort of a manager. And Elix Skipper was a tag team with Christopher Daniels. They were former NWA tag team champions. And it was uh, Daniels, Elix Skipper, and Low Key. And they were like the sort of three-man unit. And they were like the tag team of that. Uh, but since Daniels and him have split off, Elix Skipper hasn't really... He hasn't found his purpose. He's just been sort of like losing a lot of the times. And David Young is kind of like this this young stud who just doesn't really... He needs a mentor. And Simon Diamond came out after these two lads had like lost matches individually. A bit like Trish Stratz and TNA. And, but they won. And was just like, you guys have got all the potential in the world. You know what you are? You're diamonds in the rough. And you just need someone like me, Simon Diamond, to mentor you and make you better. And that would have been a really good gimmick if they ever won, but they didn't. They always lost. They do win at Bound for Glory, but they, they mostly just lost on TV a lot. They were a job attack team. It's a good idea. Yeah. I think it's a really good idea. I genuinely, at one point, thought, man, Diamonds in the Rough are going to get a push. Like, they've got a storyline. So, like, they're definitely going to do something with these guys. Well, that's Vince Russo booking, isn't it? Giving at, at least one well, of Vince his wasn't, benefits. Vince Russo's not here at this point. Ah, so it's... Vince Russo came back in late 2006, I think. Right. Well, that's... Well, One of Vince Russo's positives, anyway, <laughs> to give everyone a storyline. Absolutely, but we got um, SmackDown lead writer Road Dog is uh, in this match. Um, so there was a storyline with the three live crew where there was some dissension between them because Billy Gunn had jumped over to TNA as well originally as the Outlaw, and then WWE sued them and said that's far too close to New Age Outlaw. Um, you can't use that name. So he didn't really have a name for a little bit. And that's when he got his T-shirt that says N-I-N. No introduction needed. Uh, and he then renamed himself Kip James as a way to kind of say to, like, to say to BG James, which is his real name, you and I are brothers. We're tag teams. Like, we're a tag team. We're, like, we're the best of friends. And he was trying to coax him out of the Three Live Crew to reunite the, the New Age Outlaws. But Three Live Crew, Truth and... Conan were trying to bring their brother back into the fold and this is them reunited as a family once again so this is a bit of a triumphant moment for the babyface team a lot of context that I just needed Luke to tell me because there's no video package before this match that's the opening contest uh and, the, and and I think that Tanae was putting it over. Yeah, okay. It, it, it was a lot to get because lot it to, was like it's a lot to digest in an entrance all that's happening and by the way 
There's diamonds in the rough. There's six men here. <laughs> yep. And uh, so why were three live crew a thing in the first place? They seem like a multi-ethnic yeah. group of guys. They were a rap group, essentially. Really? Like they, they sung their own theme song because our truth our truth Run the Truth Killings um, does some rapping. Conan loves rap, and he was part of like a rap group in WCW. And BG James also is a big fan of hip-hop, as we saw with Getting Rowdy on that uh, WWF pay-per-view mm. we did for Wrestle Ramble Extra once. It seems like an act from five years before this. Yes, yeah. Um, Even in 2005, it's a bit sort of like, yeah, these are... It's a bit lame. It's a bit lame. But they've got their own little entrance, um, which is basically the New Age Outlaws entrance, but with... Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. girls. Children of all ages. And everyone goes to say, D-Generation X proudly brings to you, but NWATNA proudly brings to you, it's soon to be... Heavyweight, well, NWA Tag Team Champions of the World. Not one, not two, but the three live crew. Crew spelled with a K. That's crucial. Mm. Uh, yeah, I've not got much time for any of the people here. Co- <laughs> Conan, Conan was good. I yeah. thought Conan had a, a really good presence. He cut a fun promo beforehand as well. Yeah, Ola Le, Aviva La Raza. Oh, man, I was... But, I mean, this is, a, this is not really much of a match. No. But for the nostalgia purposes... Of a watching crappy forgotten acts. Yes, I loved, loved this. Um, and really, there isn't a whole lot to say about it, to be honest. Because three, like, because three live crew dominate most of the match, and Diamonds in the Rough get very little offense in. But all the while, Mike Tanay is talking about Simon Diamond has turned these guys' career around. Like they're really on the up and up now. And I'm like, but they're losing, and they're they're still losing. Yeah, he talks about that and American football. Yes. Lots of American football references. Oh, man. He just... Started, I, I've written here. Tanae talks about sports I don't understand. Yeah. Like, there's so many references, like, inside the baseball references to American football that even in 2005, I would have gone, don't know what you're talking about. Mm. And now it's 13 years later. I have no idea what he's talking about. And uh, should we talk about the crowd at this point? This is yeah. our first look at the crowd. A lot of, a lot of drunk adults. <laughs> Is what I took away. Well, they weren't at church before they came no. here. No, they were probably just drinking down Universal Broadwalk. Yeah, it was a fun, rowdy crowd. Yeah. Very much uh, very much that one-night stand crowd of yeah. just a lot of guys and, and some women dressed up like Jeff Hardy. Right, so the story with the TNA crowd is that the people on the hard camera side were there at every show. So the full sale crowd at NXT, very similar to what the Impact Zone crowd was like in TNA 2005 era. Although the Impact Zone crowd react to stuff. Yes, they're not just chanting for themselves. Um, sorry, Karen doesn't listen to this show anymore, so it's fine we can say that. Um, but it's it's like they were just massively into things. But the, the story with the Impact Zone crowd was that they used to hang out at the same bars that the boys and girls drank at. So they became very friendly with the boys and the wrestlers the wrestlers and that meant they then had their faves so later on you might think that a1 is one of the most over wrestlers in the entire company it's just because that portion have had drinks with him and want to cheer him on the same with there's a couple of people that have got hoitomania t-shirts that they printed themselves that's because they used to go out drinking like they were drinking the same bar as lance hoit and they were like, oh, he's the best. He's going to be the new guy. We want to get on this bandwagon. And they've all got their own chance, like, oh, oh, best. And then, like, it, is, it really does feel like a rowdy atmosphere, but on that one side, which what? I think is a lot for full sale as well. What a bunch of marks. 
Do you remember that time we had a drink with Keith Lee? Yeah. Keith Lee's the best. Keith Lee is the best. Um, there's a really funny moment in this where David Young, who's the, the bald chap, if you've forgotten which mm-hmm. one he is in the... Well, I suppose Elix Skipper's bald as well. The the one who's not Elix Skipper. Um, Simon Diamond's like wrestling in the ring, and he takes over, I think it's BG James, and... Young puts his boot up on the top rope. You know that thing where, like, and then, like, the guy throws their head into the boot and mm. you're like, oh, what a dastardly heel move. Young puts his boot up. Simon Diamond just ignores him. And then Young just takes his foot down and tags himself in. And I was like, cool. Nice spot. Nice spot there. Nice to work around <laughs> what some other guy's giving you. Exactly, yeah. What are you to mentor them there, Simon? Can, can I skip to the end for of course, this? Because absolutely, Because I've got can. no notes. Nothing else really happened apart from... The, from that yeah I'll make, that pretty much is my only notes from this so Conan gets the hot tag yep uh, continues <laughs> to be a unit yep and then throws his shoe at Elix Skipper he takes his shoe off the crowd go the crowd pop because they're like mm. he's going to throw the shoe yeah and then they build up to this through show spot as well yeah through show through show show shoe throw shoe throw thank you and then he hits a face buster for the for the win that's the K factor I'll have you know who throws a shoe honestly you honestly. fight like a woman uh, so Conan is cool I've got in my notes yep the, uh, the yeah the, everything else was not no BG James then creepily sings their song at the camera like he's like holding over the ropes yeah. bobbing his head singing their theme song with three this... united and it feels so good yeah that's it as uh, Tanae would say uh, figure forward right your basic nothing opener one star pro wrestling torch would give it half a star yeah, I didn't even rate it. <laughs> <laughs> I just forgot that was. I haven't even got the douchebag rating like, scale. Nah, yeah, one. Yeah, half a star. I don't know, <laughs> one star. Was it a match? Yeah, I mean Brian Alvarez has got more notes, but it basically is just like diamonds in the rough suck mm. uh, and three live crew annoying. Jeff 
We then get a lot of clips from the pre-show, the half-hour pre-show. Brian Alvarez tells a story that he tried to um, watch the pre-show, but he was told by his cable provider that he had to order the pay-per-view in order to watch the free uh, mm. pre-show, the, the hype show, to make you order the pay-per-view. Which he, thought, which he said, that's very TNA. Um, <laughs> we get clips from that pre-show, though, of Monty Brown attacking <coughs> Cassidy Riley, who is a Raven fan. He dresses like Raven. He's Raven's biggest supporter. I'm so glad you're here for this. <laughs> They've no idea what was happening. If I had no idea, these notes would be like, he he attacked someone who was dressed as Raven. I don't yeah. know who it was. But this is where I got very distracted because I was like, oh, who is that guy? I remember this storyline. And I could not remember the lad's name for life nor money. So I actually missed a little bit of the next match, which is a bit annoying because it's Austin Aries versus Roderick Strong. Because I was so obsessed with looking for what is the name of Cassidy Riley. Mm. Turns out it's Cassidy Riley. Priorities. Priorities. So, uh, yeah, he attacks Cassidy Riley on the pre show and he challenges the winner of Raven versus Rhino, which I've spelled as the uh, WWE way, at Bound for Glory. Bound for Glory is going to be, that's TNA's next pay per view, and that's their WrestleMania. Their the first ever. Yes, they're hyping it as like this is going to be their biggest show ever. And it's, that's why Jerry had to be champion, I guess. Um, and so Monty Brown's in the ring and he's cutting this promo. Your first question is, who's that? Yeah, what's and, a Monty Brown? And I was like, that's the alpha male Monty Brown. He follows me on Twitter now because he's making a wrestling comeback. He retired in like two... He did go to WWE as Marcus Corvon in, on the ECW Revival brand. Um, there were like... Monty Brown was going to be like the guy in TNA. There were a lot of people who were like, he could be the next rock. Or like, he's great. Yeah. The people were like, because he like based a lot of his characteristics on The Rock. So a lot of people were like, he could be TNA's version of The Rock. He had a real good presence and he's he was he had that sort of explosiveness explosiveness that Goldberg had. Uh he's well, I now know this from from the pay per view. His finisher was the pounce. Yep. Pouncer. 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 And it looked amazing the way he just charged up for it. When he's in the ring, you just you can't take your eyes off him. He was a good promo from what I saw. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I was surprised that because he wasn't around when I started watching. TNA. No, he'd gone by that point. He'd gone to WWE. Yeah. So yeah, this well, this guy just slipped through my wrestling knowledge crack. He was as like Brian Alvarez said that like it was, he was positioned to be the guy, mm. and it always felt like that's why Jarrett got the belt so they could build Jarrett up for Monty Brown to beat him and become champion. Sounds like a good idea. They just never pulled the trigger on him. He did uh -huh. have a title shot, but Jarrett won through screwy means, and they just never pulled the trigger with Monty Brown. He has a face turn shortly after this, but yeah, it was just he was one of those guys that was like always on the cusp, but just hit, kept hitting that glass ceiling. Because he's a heel in this show, but he's sort of transitioning in a tweener role. Yes, on the way to becoming a babyface. That's right. Yeah. So he's Monty Brown's in the ring, and he challenges the winner of Raven versus Rhino Bound for Glory. Jarrett comes down next, and Jarrett says that he wants a title shot. Kip James then comes down and reminds Monty Brown that they've got a tag team match later because they're tag team partners at the moment. I'll be honest, I don't remember them being a tag team unit. That's really passed me by. Um, and Jarrett says that he's the king of the mountain. Then Jeff Hardy runs down, and Jarrett bails at this point, and Kip James helps Jarrett out of the ring. And Tanae and Wes keep bringing up that Jeff Jarrett, although not booked for this show, is suspiciously in his ring gear. Yeah. Hmm. And there was also... So this was, this was not like a normal recap package where you are made aware of what the hell is going on. This was here's some here's some badly edited clips together that we're just gonna play for you in case you missed the pre-show. Yes, and 
that the, so spatially just to work out who was in the ring monty brown just disappears <laughs> now i understand that this was you know maybe a couple of minutes after something had happened but they did nothing to tell me that no nope. Jeff Hardy enters, Monty Brown disappears, like they might be the same person. <laughs> and it was just Jeff, very... Hardy, Jeff Hardy at this point probably thought he was Monty Brown. Yeah, and if like the first match wasn't confusing enough, where you've got this alternate dimension road dog and our truth with Conan <laughs> and and all these other people to keep track of, like okay, Jarrett, Monty Brown is a thing, and I really like him, and he was like the Rock. And someone's dressed as Raven, <laughs> and Assman's out there, and there's Jeff Hardy, and who's a tag team? <laughs> and and is 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 he setting up a match later on? So this was all very confusing, and they made it more confusing in the back. So one of the best things that TNA does these impact. Damn, this is gonna screw me over in the next couple of months. I've spent so long phasing it out. Uh, one of the best things Impact does these days is video packages. Oh, they're very good at video really packages. Really good. Like, sometimes surpassing WWE, and WWE makes some excellent video packages. Very true. And, yeah, I just, this was that this was not that they have not hit that stride. They do not have their David Zahadi here. No. They, I mean, so we actually watched this pay-per-view, a lot of this pay-per-view, with El Fakador, Laurie Blake. And Laurie is a man who has spent his whole life making videos and editing videos. And specifically recap packages. Specifically yeah. recap packages. And he was not impressed with the way that TNA produced their video packages no. here. He was less than impressed. Disorientated. Even by 2005 standards, I don't think he was that impressed. Mm. Um, but yeah, so that was on the pre-show. We then cut to our next match on the card, which is a showcase match. It's Austin Aries versus Roderick Strong. Let's say those names again. Austin Aries, current Impact World Champion, versus the Undisputed Era's Roderick Strong. NXT Tag Team Champion. Oh, yeah, that's Roderick right. He is Strong. NXT Tag Team Champion at the moment, isn't he? I had no idea this was coming. Well, neither did I. And I've watched this pay-per-view dozens of times. And then all of a sudden, again, all of this came flooding back to me. And I was like, oh, yeah, because Austin Aries had debuted at Sacrifice the month before because TNA did an online poll of which independent star do you want us to feature on the next tna or like who's going to get a shot at christopher daniels at the next division championship and austin aries won the poll which also had roderick strong on it and roderick did roddy did really well in the poll and so austin aries came in and he did his match with daniels at sacrifice and because roddy did so well in the poll they were like hey let's bring roddy in for a match as well or we'll bring austin aries back neither of them are signed at this point they're both still in roh and yeah it was just a showcase match it's the sort of thing that companies in the independent scene do now, but this wasn't really, they didn't consider themselves an independent company. They were trying to be they were a national promotion, a national promotion, but they were just brought in these two guys from ring of honor for a one shot deal. It's, it is fascinating and it holds up today as a match. It really does. Because they yeah. are working a style that is now the mainstream style in WWE. Like, yeah. you know, with Tyler Black, Seth Rollins and, and Dean Ambrose and what CM Punk and Daniel Bryan. You mean ROH wrestlers? Yeah, all the ROH wrestlers. Like today's American Strong Style, which has been watered down a little bit as the WWE dot 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 dive style, mm -hmm. is this this style right now? Yeah. And then you've like I guess in ten years time, people will be wrestling like the New Japan wrestlers do now, or maybe like some of the like the Bucks spot filled stuff with yeah. a lot more comedy in. But yeah, th this is. 
this is remarkable and it's a good match yeah and just just fascinating to see these two guys in 2005 13 years ago and they're they're pretty much like they are 90% of the way to being what they are now yeah in 2005 but it's i guess it's taken like five another 5 7 years to get the hardest last 10% just that bit of finishing where they're now like supremely slick but they're so good here and they've got that rawness with them as well it's uh yeah and um, Tane is saying on commentary that TNA listens to their fans we've read your emails yep. and that's why they've got Aries in and like that to me is a direct jab at WWE at this time absolutely well there was a lot of people and I've, I've had this discussion with people as well when they talk about the stars of TNA at this point and the stars of Ring of Honor and you're like these guys could have been huge in WWE but WWE at this point were just so uninterested oh, in yeah. this sort of wrestling because like they were like these guys can't work they don't know how to work they don't know psychology they don't know they can't respond to fans they're not good wrestlers do you know who is a good wrestler? Chris Masters, Gene Snitsky. That's what people want to see. Big, larger-than-life characters. Where actually the wrestling fans were transitioning more into this American... The work rate. The work rate, yeah. the American strong style of wrestling. And this, for me, was like my first exposure to people like Austin Aries, particularly Roderick Strong. This was my first time I ever saw Roderick Strong. Because I didn't. getting ROH was so much harder than getting TNA bootlegs. Um, and it wasn't until a couple of years later that I went back and saw Austin Aries and Roderick Strong in Ring of Honor. Because at this point, they were stablemates that they were putting over on commentary. And so, yeah, it was really interesting to kind of see these guys at this point, knowing what they are now as well. And that's not the only familiar face in this match, Luke. <laughs> because who should be there officiating the action? I might note here, Ollie is very excited. Rudy Charles is the referee. It's my man, Rudy Charles. I loved him in TNA. Like, I just I genuinely, genuinely adored him. I thought he was an excellent referee. I really like good referees. Yeah. And he's one of them. And, of course, now he's he's been in WWE for about four or five years now. He has indeed. And he's uh, one of the top referees there. He's sort of the lead referee on SmackDown. And, yeah, here he is, still doing his, like, exaggerated facial expressions. He always looks concerned. Yeah. Which makes the action feel that much better. So, yes, this is a very much like a, a Ring of Honor match in a, in a TNA arena. Um I mean, my notes here are most like Impact, Aries is Impact Champion currently. Um, Strong launches Aries into the turnbuckle and he sort of dominates Aries and he whips him hard into the corner and does this killer drop kick. Uh, then it's a massive, massive chop, but Aries starts firing back. Strong whips him again, but Aries hits a massive clothesline and that beautiful spinning pendulum mm. elbow that he does. Tanay, there's one thing I've always thought about Mike Tanay. He is obsessed with people who are left-handed. <laughs> because he loves saying the term, he's a southpaw. Yeah. And that's such a different style. People are so much used to fighting people who are right-handed. When you're a southpaw, you can come out of nowhere. Anytime there's a wrestler who is left-handed, Mike Tanay is there. The professor is there to talk about how they are mm. a southpaw. Yeah, well, yeah, I want to know these things. I, it does add to the match, like in a real sport. Yeah, totally. Would, but it would say that. Yeah, and that's why Tanay was great as that third man on the commentary team and not the play-by-play -play guy. Pointing out the facts that's rather exactly, than leading the like, That's the play -play it, yeah. Player. Uh, Aries throws himself over the rope and he grabs Strong's necks, uh, uh, grabs Strong's neck on the way over and he barely got over the ropes but it looked really really cool and then he slingshots himself back in with this wonderful spinning elbow the crowd is chanting for uh, they're chanting Ring of Honor they're yeah, chanting ROH, ROH yeah. throughout this and then a few fans shut them down with TNA chants to be like 
No, lads. This is TNA. Yeah, well, it's a. It comes after a gut buster from Strong, and then a lovely sick. Oh, amazing near fall. Uh, yeah, on that. For, for a near fall, and that's when the TNA chant uh, gets going, and you can see a sign in the crowd that says Dixie. Please sign these guys. Yeah, sign both these guys. And Sene says, like, the fans wanted this match, and TNA delivered. As you said, it sounds like a direct shot to WWE. Mm. Uh, Aries gets a sneak up, sneak roll up for a near fall. Uh, Strong tries to lock in the stronghold, but Aries blocks it, hits a drop kick, and then the brain buster, 450 splash, Aries wins. Great match. Yeah, really good match. Really holds up today. Uh, like, it's a good match today. It's a it's a upper average match today. Yeah. And it's just... It fit like compared to the opener, this feels like a different class. <laughs> I know the action is so slick. It's so maybe slick's the wrong word. It is strong. Yeah, this is American strong style. When that, what the couple of years before was when that kind of aesthetic was being worked out by by these guys and Punk and Daniel and Joe, and it's like it looks like they're connecting. And it also, whereas the first match was so showy and mm-hmm. so 90s, which is fun for the 90s, but the sport and the art have moved on by that point. Very much so. And, and the other thing that I really picked up here, you know, like, I guess to now we're in the era of the dive. Yep, dot, 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 dive. This was, this was the era of the chop. Yeah. Like, <laughs> chops were a really big thing. Yeah. Like, now you want to get you want to get the pops, you do a few dives but back then it was let's do some I, chops I would argue and Strong's get... chops oh man they're strong they're so sla- they make such a slap he doesn't really make a big thing of his chops but that used to be a huge thing in ROH yeah well that's because he's the messiah of the backbreaker yeah. that's his bread and butter really is doing various different bra- uh, backbreakers Roderick Strong fun fact uh, was involved in the very first TNA t- uh, match on Impact Really? Yeah, it was him and AJ Styles. Because, huh. again, TNA, because they listen to their fans, they polled the fans of which wrestler should open TNA Impact. Like, when we go to Spike, like, who is going to show what TNA is? And AJ Styles won by, like, leaps and bounds. It's like, here is what TNA is. And it was him versus Roderick Strong. And they had to tape the match twice because the first time they did a terrible job of it. Oh, no. <laughs> but that's the benefit of taping things for television. It's amazing that... This is 2005, and Strong's there, and he is, like, in the mix with all these guys and just as good as any of them. And everyone else kind of passes him by and becomes top guys in TNA or WWE. But Strong doesn't get picked up by NXT until, like, 26, 2017. Barely gets picked by, picked up by TNA, to be honest. He just comes in and does a few one-shot things, but yeah. never gets involved in, like, a storyline. Well, he's always been like an that. ROH yeah. guy yeah, yeah. throughout that, all that time. Like, yeah, it was almost... It, it was weird. Like, I, he's not got like an impressive body at all. But the, the way the, the way he works is so impressive. It is really cool. I, I was always a big fan of of Roddy, uh, particularly around this point. Uh, Brian Alvarez would say they had a good match and the crowd was awesome, totally giving them a chance, despite the fact that neither is a regular ROH guy. In fact, it was hilarious watching Aries at points. This was only the second time he'd been in a six sided ring, so every now and again he'd turn it to his right to hit the ropes, but there wouldn't be ropes there. There would be a post. So he'd have to pause, find the ropes, and then start running. Uh, he gave the match three and a quarter stars. Pro Wrestling Torch would say, The crowd was hot early and often gave these two Ring of Honor stablemates turn... Com- mm. What? That doesn't make sense. The crowd was hot early and often for the two Ring of Honor stablemates turned competitive opponents. Three and a quarter stars. What a terrible sentence. 
I'll give it three and a half. Well, I think that's very fair. Mm. I thought it was a really good match. And I, you hit the nail on the head. The great thing about this match is it stands up today. And you look at that first match, which was just so much nothing. Mm. And there are some other matches on this that are just so much nothing. Mm. Because they are a lot of, like, these are 90s guys that are still trying to stay relevant. And there are just guys that are on this card that are just, they've already surpassed them. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it is like you're, you're switching channels between yeah. two different promotions. You've got the fun, cool, young indie star one, and then you've got this weird 90s hangover. And the two don't really mix. Yeah. Like, the young guys are programmed together. I guess Bobby Roode and Jeff Hardy is the only match that crosses over between those two generations. I suppose it is, Everything yeah. else kind of stays in there. Well, yeah, I guess... Like Hoyt and Apollo against. We'll come, we'll come to that. Alpha male Marty Brown, you made it perfectly crystal clear earlier tonight that you ain't the kind of man to sit around and wait for an NWA World Heavyweight Title shot to be given to you. But I would suggest that tonight you and Kip James have some unresolved issues to take care of with Apollo and Lance Hoyt. You're right, Shane. Tonight, <laughs> would you like to tell me what that was just all about? tell you exactly what that was all about it was about getting a job done which you haven't been doing and don't you ever are you kidding me me get a job done i don't know what your problem is with jeff jarrett but you need to probably apologize for it apologize to yeah. jarrett yeah the alpha male in case you didn't know kip apologize to no man i owe no one any apologies because i'm doing things around here the way i want to listen monty i don't know if you know this or not but I am one of the most decorated wrestling stars that this business has ever seen. Now, we have a match tonight with Lance Hoyt and Apollo. Would you like to get your head into that, maybe? My head is in this game. It's always been in the game. You need to get yourself together. This thing's about competition. Let's go compete. Let's go hunt like we said we would. Lance Hoyt, Apollo, tonight, you both will feel the Period. Get your head right. But backstage, before we get to that, Shane Douglas is our interviewer, our backstage interviewer. This was where I thought we'd slipped into an alternate dimension. <laughs> I never knew Shane Douglas was a backstage interviewer. Well, the yeah. franchise, the, the ECW longtime champion. He was. Well, he was a wrestler in TNA, and then he had a, an amazing feud with Raven in like the early Nashville. Uh, fairground days and that's where Raven got his head shaved and they took the guard off and like literally scalped him and like he bleeded uh, bled profusely during that it was a great angle which was um, Shane Douglas and James Mitchell and um, he just sort of morphed into a bit of a backstage role he eventually becomes a manager he man manages the, the naturals uh, for a little time they become the franchised naturals but um, I love Shane Douglas because there's a moment during this you see it later on when he's talking with Larry Zabisco, who's like the GM of this. And they have a different role for it. It's like TNA management or something mm. like that. And Shane Douglas, like when he's interviewing people, is still in pro wrestler mode. And if there's one thing that Shane Douglas liked to do, it was have a chuckle. Like yeah. he would always chuckle throughout. <laughs> yeah, he'd always chuckle. And Taz, <laughs> I'll see you out there in the ring. <laughs> Yeah. ECW champion you know things like that because he's the franchise <laughs> and he, he bloody loves a chuckle and throughout all these interviews he's just chuckling along with them going ha, 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 ha. unless it's serious unless it's serious because he does do like really super concerned face <laughs> he's not he's not doing it subtly no um, but it's I guess it's you couldn't be more opposite 
than the robotic dash of Fuentes <laughs> of today. It's like he's too she far would ne- the. She would never have a chuckle. Yeah, he's too far the other way. <laughs> he's, he's chewing the microphone effectively. When he's he cutting acts. a wrestling promo, but without but without like, without being a wrestler and without speaking. No, <laughs> so it's like he asks the question, hands over the mic, but he's still cutting the promo in his head <laughs> and reacting it in his face. Yeah. Yeah. It's really weird. I did hear that very sad story when someone spotted Shane Douglas working in a Walmart. Recently? Yeah, it was a couple of years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. It's a bit sad. A bit of a downturn for poor Shane Douglas. He was a man... Do you know that he claimed that he was going to go over with the Radicals um, into mm. WWF? But everyone says that's not the case. That's the only person who says that story is Shane Douglas. Um, Triple H that kept him down, apparently. The, the story goes but anyway he's our backstage interview today and he is speaking with the alpha male monty brown alpha male is wearing ollie davis's jacket it is a very fetching leopard print number because uh, he's which, from the serengeti yeah which which i don't have anymore no damn you cultaholic um and then kip james walks up and he's upset about monty brown's declaration that he wants a title shot because they're a tag team we're we're, going, we're in a tag team at the like tag team match later on tonight. Remember, Luke, we're a tag team. <laughs> Almost directly speaking to you through the screen. Yeah, um, because like you said, you can't go off and have title shots. As I said, because this is where we're morphing Monty Brown out of this heel role into this uh, into this babyface thing. And Kip James wants Monty Brown to apologise to Jeff Jarrett, but Monty Brown says that he apologises to no one. And there are and there are as I said, written people. We're comparing Monty Brown to The Rock. And he was said, uh, anyone in the ring will feel the panther, period. And he's like a little like head shake thing before he says period. Got over with the crowd. He's great. He's got, he's got a lot of charisma. Um, but I don't know if you heard it. In the background. You can hear everyone chanting, that was awesome. That was awesome for the strong Aries match. <laughs> no one is paying attention to this. I don't, yeah. I'm not sure if this was shown on the screens or Maybe anything. Not. But the crowd were just, yeah, they were throwing applause onto Aries and Strong. And then they had... Bat- because, like, that match was good now. Mm-hmm. Imagine back then. It must have been mind-blowing to see that live. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, then you got a Bound for Glory promo package. Um, figure four, sorry, would oh, uh, sorry. say about um, that... That interview, interview segment. That, yeah. Monty and Kip James, who he kept calling Bill E. That was... Brian, uh, that was Brian Alvarez's joke about Billy Gunn needing a new name. Mm-hmm. He just said, much call yourself Bill E. Um, Monty and Kip James had a meeting backstage. No one in the building cared because they were on their feet chanting, that was awesome. I wasn't paying attention much either, and the whole meeting looked boring. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's unfair. Brown, Brown is cool. Brown's good. Brown's good, yeah. Kip James, not so much. Yeah, and Shane Douglas was just gurning away in the background. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then, yeah, here came the promo package for Bound for Glory, the first ever Bound for Glory, and they did a good job building it up as an epic thing. You had the the VO guy. Yes. In in like African this dress. This is TNA. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was a big fan of that guy and they're talking about how this is going to be this was TNA's big moments. This was going to be their Starcade. This was going to be their Wrestlemania. I remember being so, so, so excited for Bound for Glory because I was like because I believed the hype that this was their WrestleMania and because they were going on to Spike TV and had a couple of weeks to promote it. And I was like, this is it. This is the turning point. They're going to be competitive to WWE. I was in that mindset so a, a lot at this point. I really believed it. Um, it's like when people these days write into us and say, so New Japan are going to like beat WWE soon, yeah? Yeah. I'm like, ah, uh, 
you haven't lived through all the disappointments <laughs> and had uh, promotions try and crumble in front of your eyes. Exactly, yeah. Oh, all in. They, like, WWE are going to completely change their mindset yeah. now because of all in. I was like, yeah, no, no. Because like a fraction of the people who buy the network will have bought all in on pay-per-view. Mm. I certainly hope so. But, you know, my own personal experience of which I have lived through about 10 more years than you says... Uh, don't get your hopes up too much absolutely not but um we have got a tag team match coming up next and it's not a good one it's kip james and monty brown versus apollo and lance hoyt uh you i was asked you i said to you you're going to recognize lance hoyt i didn't you didn't <laughs> but he is a uh, lance archer in new japan he's a uh, davy boy smith's tag team partner as the killer elite squad mm. um Big guy. Big guy. Well, I recognized his height. <laughs> what is he, like 6'9"? And his lovely pants that he is wearing, which look very, very comfortable. But, well, they're like, it looks, they're just very, I don't know, they don't look very breathable. <laughs> no, I think they look super breathable. Really? Yeah, yeah, totally breathable. But they're, they're attached, are they not attached to his boots? No, no, they just look like they're attached oh, to the right. boots. Oh, right, well, I thought that it was it was weird. Yeah. It was a weird looking look. Monty Brown's music is essentially a rip-off of Disturbed, so you could tell that Jimmy Hart had some involvement in this company. Um, and Sinead talks about how this was originally scheduled to be um, Monty Brown and Kip James versus Apollo and his tag team partner Sonny Siaki however Sonny Siaki was injured at this point through the actions of Kip James and Monty Brown he had a neck injury so Lance Hoyt has stepped in uh, the big D from Dallas Texas um, he has stepped in here to fill the shoes of Sonny Siaki who comes out wearing a neck brace um, and I Brown is kind of mocking him yes by pretending to injure his own throat which is weird as well because i said like they are trying to transition him into a baby mm. face because i thought off that promo i was like yeah this is when he's meant to be a baby face more or less at this point like he's already having these arguments with kip james and then yeah and then he just starts like yucking it up with james about like ha 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 injured neck and it's like why it was really jarring because it's not the kind of badass yeah i'm i'm a tweener and i did that to your neck it's like the obnoxious almost iconics level of in your face aha i'm a bully yeah. and i'm going to be like this and make you boo me so it was it was yeah it was it was not very thematically consistent yeah i mean my notes say here isn't brad supposed to be a baby face i think he may have been turning at this point i don't mm. know um, and I also thought that Lance Hoyt was incredibly over at this point in time i was like man alive like lance hoyt's going to be the next top guy now i know that it's a small section of the crowd that are massively into Lance Hoyt. Not that he is over it. I mean, he is over. Yeah, I think and Hoyt, he, what, like, he works the vast majority of this match. Apollo's barely in this no, match. No, You more or less forget that he's there. Yeah, and, and Hoyt was, you know, it's very good. It's like, it's like a lot of these guys, they're very good here. And they were, there's only about five more percent until they are where they're at these days. Yeah, 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 it really is. And I think, like, Lance works the majority of this match. And like he hip tosses like Kip James right at the start, which Kip James goes over and goes, Oh, yes, mm -hmm. which is great. Uh, Brown blind tags himself in, and then Hoyt knocks them both down, gets big right hands from him, and a massive sidewalk slam. Uh, Apollo has some wicked shots and a really mean clothesline because he was kind of like built as a bit of an X Division guy, but he was also a heavyweight. Didn't really do a lot, Apollo and Sonny Siaki. They kind of like had a bit of a. A bit of a mini push, but they're almost like diamonds in the rough. They were there on the card, but weren't really doing anything. But it seemed to be on every pay-per-view. 
Um, James tags himself in and takes over. Uh, and Monty does a butt bump in the corner. That was awesome. Yeah. He got such a loud slap on that. He does, yeah. Uh, Hoyt does this big 10 punch and people chant his name along with it. Bran and James work over Hoyt for a bit and then they do, I think, the world's slowest hot tag. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Apollo's not that fast, is he? No, but like Lance Hoyt wasn't that fast in getting to him either. Like, I know you meant to crawl into the hot tag, but it was like, there was no heat for that hot tag whatsoever. Yeah, if, they... this, if this was a, like a hot tag, it was ice cold. But I, I did like uh, Apollo's big sit-down powerbomb on Brown. Yeah. I thought that was really impressive. And then Hoyt does this massive moonsault yeah, it's really cool. Kip James. And, uh, but as soon as he's done that, he starts celebrating yeah and and it's like well why aren't you making a cover or something don west even says that that's an experience for you he's not like he's just celebrating it was it it wasn't the right kind of celebrating it was like well you're an idiot celebrating yeah i just did a move Ah! and then brown throws him out james hits brown by mistake uh also when brown throws out kip james he's not like oh just move aside buddy so you don't get attacked he's like Go away! Yeah. And he throws him to the ground. James hits Brown by mistake, as I said. Uh, and a huge kick from Apollo. I thought that was going to be the end. Yeah. Because you can protect the young, like, Hoyt and Apollo because you've got this James and Brown breakup dynamic. Uh, but James Monty... J- sorry, Kip James kicks out and Apollo saves James by... That's, oh, no, when, that was that's, the that's when, that's the when Brown throws James out of the ring and then yeah. he hits the pounce and wins. Yeah, pounce and wins. And they're kind of like... They're both like, well, why did, why did you throw me out the ring even when they won? So it was a bit like, it was a bit clustery and yeah. the, there was too much going on. It it was overbooked. It was overbooked. It felt like it should have been on TV, if anything. And it wasn't a good wrestling match. No. Like, in ring. And it, coming off the back of the Aries strong match as well. Yeah, really exposed. Really it. exposed it. Brian Alvarez, uh, Brian Alvarez would say, rather, the good guys were managed by Sonny Siaki. Now, you can tell here that Brian has got a bit of heat with Sonny Siaki. The good guys were managed by Sonny Siaki, who, despite arguing aggressively on, account- on countless occasions that he isn't a rock clone, looked exactly like The Rock. From the buzz cut to the sunglasses to the dapper suit, it was hilarious. The only thing that was missing from him was to do the eyebrow. Uh, he then goes on to say, The bloom may be off the rose as it regards to Lance Hoyt. If his fan club was there this evening, they were distracted or getting beer because there was zero heat early on. His punches made John Cena look like Jerry Lawler in his prime. Sort of a mess. Star and a quarter. Pro Wrestling mm. Torch would say, Good action, but Hoyt was lost in the shuffle. Two stars. Yeah, I'll give it like a star and a half. I suppose you say that Hoyt was lost in the shuffle. I'd say that Apollo was lost in the shuffle, yeah. if anything else. Hoyt honestly worked most of the match yeah i'd say 80 percent of the match for his team yep so don't get that don't get that at all uh backstage we cut to tracy who was interviewing um half the roster of wwe at this point it's team <laughs> canada which is pt williams bobby Roode, eric young and big a1 mm. big a1 the big lumbering idiot that he is oh, i never liked a1 i d- had no I-, I have no idea who a1 is <laughs> no one does yeah absolutely a1 like you know the, the self-destruction of the ultimate warrior bobby heenan gives his impression of of the ultimate warrior and he said he was a guy that was a bodybuilder who didn't know what to do and he saw a wwf truck go by and he went that looks like fun i'll give that a go 
that's what A1 is. He's just a bodybuilder that someone saw in a gym and was like, gosh, you've got a good physique. Mm. You should be a wrestler, you. He's enormous. He, well, he is enormous. And then he starts to wrestle and then was like, yeah, you don't get this, do you? you <laughs> you've no idea what this is. You have no idea who A1 is. I don't know what he went on to do, to be honest. I might do a bit of Googling live on air and see what happens. So this was a Team Canada segment backstage and they're all kind of hyping their matches throughout the night. I suppose Team Canada are one of the premier mid-card factions in TNA? They were indeed. I actually, do you know my big, reg- I've got two big regrets from Wrestling Media Con. One was not introducing myself to Dave Meltzer. Um, Same. I, I wish I'd done that. Um, but two was not introducing myself to Scott Demore. Like I really mm. wanted to speak to Scott Demore because he was one of my reasons of getting into TNA. He was kind of booking at this time. He was the guy who was booking the women's division when that took off in TNA a couple of years later. That was absolutely awesome. Like all that Gail Kim, awesome Kong stuff yeah. that you hear about, the beautiful people. That's all Scott Demore. And then it was amazing that he sort of got ousted from the company somewhat. Like Scott Demore was like a booker at this point. But he, I loved Team Canada. I, I just thought they were a great heel act. And I thought Scott Demore was a massive part of that. And I really wanted to come and say to Scott Demore, you were one of the reasons I got into TNA back in the day because uh, I loved Team Canada, but I, I bottled it. And then I never really found the right option because he was in, he was doing a lot of business meetings mm. there. I just never really found a good time to do it. But I kept hearing his voice at times right there and I was like, that's Scott Damore. And I marked out a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but it's, uh, it's quite weird to see them, especially Bobby Roode mm-hmm. with long hair here. Yep. It's very Triple H. I kind of forgot he, he had anything else did he just yeah. bother, like, what's, what's Triple H doing That's with exactly hair what it was, moment? yep. I'm, I'm going to have it like that. Yeah, and I'll get the mutton chops at some point, and yeah. then I'll cut my hair off. Yeah, I remember Bobby Roode and his frizzy long hair. A1 update. Uh, A1 was released by TNA in February 2007. Since leaving TNA... just before I got into it. A1 has wrestled on the independent circuit in Canada and the United States. Uh, and, crikey. Okay, so this is the note it says. In- independent circuit, 2007 to present. Since leaving TNA, A1 has wrestled on the independent circuit in Canada and the United States. At Impact One Night Only, Canadian Clash in February 2018, A1 returned to Impact Wrestling for the first time in 11 years. What? That's the, so there was no notes between 2007 and 2018. When did he wrestle this year for Impact? Apparently at Canadian Clash in February 2018. A1 returned to Impact Wrestling for the first time in 11 years, unsuccessfully challenging Eli Drake for the Impact Global Championship. He returned to Impact Wrestling once again at the following month's one-night-only March Breakdown pay-per-view, where he teamed with Ali in a victory over Braxton Sutter and Casey Spinelli. He is also currently a member of the Border City Wrestling roster. Honestly, this pay-per-view, I feel like I've stepped into an alternate time. (laughs) I don't know what's going on. He has been the Border City Wrestling champion on one occasion. Well, anyway, back to this segment. Uh, That was in 2004. You've got these four guys backstage all in their sort of Canadian jerseys and Canadian stuff around. What what do you want now? Sorry, in 2007, you know the PWI 500? He was ranked 253. That's midway. Yeah, I mean, that's not how... Yeah, well done. Well done, mate. Do Do you know why it's the 500? Yeah. So they sell more copies. Oh, okay. Because all the wrestlers who get mentioned in there that's, will buy one. Of course, yeah. Very so it's a God, smart way Smart of business it. move. Uh, but, so, yes, it's lots of Canadian paraphernalia around. Yep. And I just assumed Bobby Roode was the leader because he was running around telling Eric Young to do something, telling A1 to pull his weight. 
But no, P.D. Williams is the is the leader. Yeah, he's yeah. the team captain. No, he's yeah. not a leader. He's the team captain of uh, Team Canada. That's why they have distinction. That's because they like hockey. Mm. That's why he's got the hockey stick with the Canadian flag wrapped around it. Um, yeah, like so. P.D. Uh, Eric Young's freaking out because they're in a tag team championship match later, but the referee is American. And that means they're going to screw him up. This is like paranoid Eric Young, which would then lead into Super Eric down the line when he became a comedy character. I mean, he was a comedy character here, more or less. And then Rude cuts a promo on Jeff Hardy, uh, and he calls him a freak, which made me laugh. But at the end of it, with his catchphrase that I'm sure never really got over, he says, you're going to get Canadianized. Yeah. That is not a good catchphrase. I'm going to Canadianize Jeff. Yeah. What does that mean? I don't probably like cook you a nice selection of maple syrup pancakes you're gonna get some tim hortons be very nice to you <laughs> yeah just, i'm gonna i'm gonna make o- you i'm gonna be a good host for you i'm gonna overtip you mm. at a restaurant uh, and then williams cuts a good promo on chris saban that was a good promo because yeah. he and chris saban sort of broke into the wrestling business at the same time in fact chris saban also trained under scott demore and they sort of, they joined TNA at the same time. They dropped the ranks in TNA at the same time. They used to battle each other over the X Division Championship. Um, but that led to our next match, which is P.T. Williams versus Chris Sabin, where we do get the rather awkward moment where Abyss's music plays. Uh, and P.T. Williams, you can... <laughs> this is so funny. Because he's on the ramp. And it's just... <laughs> When when the music started, I was like, I was like, I oh, the bits is coming out. Yeah. but I forgot that it was Abysses because I haven't watched like TNA or Impact for a while. I was like, I know that music. That's not Feedy Williams's music. Yeah, because I yeah, you'd expect to hear the for the Team Canada thing, but you just see Feedy Williams in the engine strap, looking back at the production team with his arms up, going like, what the f? That's not my music. And then almost going like, oh, fine, whatever. Someone said, just go out, just, just we'll fix it, we'll fix it. Oh, God's sake, all right. Then. And then he just goes out. He's got a little pounce on him because he's like he's walking out to not his own music and the crowd are going, oh, Abyss. Oh, this is not a good start to his He, he looks like an idiot. <laughs> I mean, like, really in kayfabe, you should walk out and, like, if that happens, really, you should shout at them until they play your music and just make that part of your heat yeah but the fact that he walked down to the ring as if nothing was wrong yeah and everyone could really hear that something was wrong oh absolutely yeah look like he's stupid grab the microphone and say you could tell an american's running the production back there that's perfect perfect heat yeah but he didn't do that he just uh looked annoyed yeah um brian elvis right abyss has shaved removed his mask tied his hair back and lost a hundred pounds Oh, wait, that's P.D. Williams. Why did he come out to Abyss's music? Let's try that again. Nice. They eventually started playing the Team Canada music, but way too late to help. Uh, and this is a phrase I'm going to say more than once on this show, uh, but this was supposed to be Saban versus Shocker, but uh, Shocker more or less no-showed the event. Who's Shocker? Uh, Shocker was like a Mexican wrestler from the 90s, and he was Chris Saban's tag team partner in the Chris Candido Memorial Cup. And the idea was this was like the mentor versus student match. But yeah, Shocker was not available for this show. And so they just did this match out of nowhere. But I, I mean, credit to them. They, they built a hell of a story around it because, you know, Saban and Williams, the whole breaking into the business together thing. I really liked in Peter's promo how he put over his move. It's like this match was effectively, it's the Canadian destroyer against what's Saban's? The Cradle Shock. The Cradle Shock, yeah. Like it's these two moves. I thought, 
That's pretty cool, and that's what they told on commentary. Man, this was at a time when the Canadian Destroyer was a protected move. Wow. Not a setup move on the apron for a near fall. <laughs> a setup move for a shooting star, star for, for a near, near fall. fall. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this match was this match was quite fun. Yeah. Uh, it, it like her action from the get go, Hurricane Rana from Sabin to the outside. Uh, and you get these Hail Sabin chants. Yeah, because Hail Sabin! Hail Sabin! My dig Sabin it, dig it, dig it. is uh, Alex Shelley Motor City Machine Gun Sabin. Yeah, pointing to the hands. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I was a big fan of uh, Chris Sabin. When TNA released their action figure line, uh, Chris Sabin was, I think he was in series two or three, and he came with the X Division title. So I had to buy that action figure because I was a massive fan of. Uh, of Chris Saban and I've got Ravens figure obviously obviously, obviously. Uh, there was split chance in the crowd here for let's go PT let's go Saban so even though Team Canada are a heel act this is the kind of smart crowd that would like the Canadian wrestlers who are all really good at wrestling tapping into that heart foundation well they really love the X division I, yeah. I, I think the TNA crowd sorry I talked over you a little bit there you did that's because I thought you'd finished your point well, so I, was I still ta- but I was still that's not where the sentence ends. It sounded from, like it was about to end. From. <laughs> All you needed, the day, the 90s. You just needed to stay put until the, the 90s. 90s. <laughs> I'm very sorry. That was very rude to me. It was, it was bad broadcasting. Um, but yeah, I, I think the TNA crowd just like X Division guys. Mm. Like if you're face or yeah. heel, you're just over because everyone loves the X Division. And PD Williams and Chris Saban are both former X Division champions. They were competing in Ultimate X matches only a few months ago when, like, in the very first TNA pay-per-view, which is in the same arena in front of the same fans, over the X Division championship. So they're really into these dudes. And how do TNA management, like, take that reception in? They listen to their fans. And give them more 90s tag <laughs> team acts. No, what you want to see yeah. is the New Age Outlaws reunited and it feels so good. Yes, but there's some really good mention there. And this is where Tanae suddenly brings up 9-11 and Hurricane Katrina. Well, I, I, I'm i glad he did bring up Hurricane Katrina because like, that would have been a lot more recent as well. That yes. would have been like, you know, a month or so before or maybe even sooner. So it was like, oh, wow, that Unbreakable is... A pretty cool name, actually, yeah, exactly. and the whole sentiment's well, well judged. Yeah, and as I said, like he brings it up, and it really does sort of come out of nowhere. It's almost felt he felt like I should say something about nine eleven and Hurricane Katrina, and it's just weird that he picked this match. Mm. But then, like he, you can tell that he almost instantly regrets it because he's like, "This is not the right time to do yeah. it. I'm, I'm going to back out of this as quickly as I can and start calling this sharpshooter that Williams has locked in instead." Yeah, because there's plenty of like director camera addresses throughout the show. Yeah, but then you got Barry Shaw Mortman yeah. when you got those. <laughs> <laughs> like, come on to that. <laughs> uh, Canadian destroyer is reversed. Uh, the, the sharpshooter's locked in by Williams. The crowd are pretty into this. Yeah, and like into PT despite that foreign heel gimmick. Like you said, they just like X Division. Uh, a huge jumping tornado DDT from Sabin, which spikes Williams into the mat. Yeah, he does, and he answers back with his head scissors into the Russian leg sweep, which is such a cool spot. Mm. And he gets a face buster and locks in the sharpshooter again. It's not a great sharpshooter, I'll be honest with you. But Vegador still... was outraged. He hated that sharpshooter. Yeah. <laughs> he liked the leg sweep, but he hated that sharpshooter. A running crucifix bomb oh! onto Williams into the turnbuckle. That, that looks good. Brutal. Yeah, that was so good. good. And he tries to get the cradle shot, but Williams fights out. So Saban rams, and I love this because. Get him in the credit shock, he got him in the Death Valley driver position. And he's trying to hook the legs, but Williams is fighting out. So Saban just starts running into the turnbuckle so he can mm. then try and, and try and grab the legs again. Pete Williams fights out, so he just rams him into the turnbuckle again. It's really, really cool. But Williams rakes the eyes and gets out of it. 
then you get a bit of a weird spot when like Saban is blinded so he lifts up the rep to do the yeah. to do the the cradle shock but then he puts him down and then Petey goes to hit the Canadian destroyer and the crowd pop for it but Saban reverse it into the cradle shock and gets the win but the crowd boo the finish because they wanted to see the Canadian destroyer that's how cool that move is yeah totally do, like they don't care if you heal or face they just want to see that move. Abs- That's an over move. It's well, what? It's so over this point. Yeah. Why wouldn't it be? It's like the coolest thing I'd ever seen. Yeah, yeah. When I saw that move, I was like, I was like rewinding the, the DVD to be like, I've got to see that again. I've got to see that again. It's it's breathtaking. There are three moves that I have that reaction for, and that is the Canadian Destroyer. It is Doug Williams's Chaos Theory. Yep. And it's uh, Dave Mastiff's running power like cannonball. <laughs> cannonball the, the corner. corner yeah. Like, if I don't see those in one of those guys' matches, I'm like. Well, I feel a bit short-changed. Yeah. My other one is Will Ospreay's one-man Spanish fly. Mm, yeah. That is good. Uh, figure four would say, many of the crowd booed, probably because they teased the Canadian Destroyer and didn't deliver. Very good, though. Three and a half stars. Pro Wrestling Torch would say, great wrestling action, but without a backstory, the match failed to stand out. Three stars. Well, I guess if you're watching it week to week, but here I thought they build up a backstory very well in just a segment and commentary. I agree. Uh, then, like... This Matt Bentley turns up in a suit. Yeah, the former uh, Michael Shane they, uh, comes, makes his return to TNA. The crowd shout, welcome back. Uh, he's been injured. Well, they, there were reports that he was going to go to WWE. Like he had left TNA and was going to go to WWE. Uh, and then he didn't. And he kind of like, so he attacks Saban after this match. And he cuts a promo about that saying like, there were rumors I was going to head up north. But I'm too good to go up north. TNA is my home blah 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 blah. puts over tna and he says that he's bringing back the ultimate x match at bound for glory next month and the crowd popped massively for it because everyone loves an ultimate x match and, and he won the first ultimate x he certainly did and he uh, super kicks pete williams a great super kick on pete williams uh, for good measure i remember so like so michael uh, matt bentley was someone matt shane i think his name was or michael shane i can't remember but this was like a period when i wasn't watching tna because this was more like the fairground days in nashville so i this was kind of like my first exposure to him as a tna fan so i didn't really know um i'm just trying to find the uh the bound for glory results because i can't even remember if he won but I, I remember thinking like oh man they're gonna like do something big with this guy i guess and um and then he didn't <laughs> and, uh, and they didn't really do anything with him. I've just actually found something interesting. I'm just going to read this to you here. Um, Tracy uh, quietly left Bentley, blah, 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 blah. Uh, In July 2005, Bentley was forced to refrain from using the Michael Shane alias, which he'd used his entire career, following threats of legal action from World Wrestling Entertainment. Uh-huh. Hmm. Um, the employers of Mike Shane who trademarked the name, which was something Bentley had neglected to do. So let me click the name Mike Shane. Who's Mike Shane? Uh, Mike Shane. Uh, the Shane Twins are a professional wrestling tag team that consists of the brothers Mike and Todd Shane. They are best known <laughs> for their appearances in World Wrestling Entertainment as Gemini. Right. Do you remember Gemini? No. No, not many people do. But that's why he was then renamed Matt Bentley, I guess. That was peak petty WWE coming after people's names era. Exactly. Along yeah. with the chop era. But coming up next, we have got Abyss versus Sabu in what is going to be very much... A hardcore match. Apparently every single member of the TNA Championship Committee is deaf. Because they obviously didn't hear me when I've made it clear that Abyss 
would not wait around for a world title shot. Not only is Abyss a monster, he's a weapon of mass destruction. Either Abyss gets his title shot, or he's going to cripple everyone in his path. Oh, and Larry Zabisco, I would strongly suggest that you put down your golf clubs and make this thing happen. Wait a minute, what in the world? That's a bitch doing out there. The monster of this, he said that he will turn this monster loose on TNA until he gets a title shot, and now they both double team. The man is homicidal, genocidal, suicidal. But you are not a six foot eight, 350 pound monster like a fist. He is a weapon of mass destruction. And if he does not get his way, the end result is obvious. This video is really based around Jim Mitchell kind of cutting a promo for He's a bit. The Sinister Minister, I'm a massive, massive mark for the Sinister Minister. A lot of when we were watching it, folks, uh, Luke just kept on saying this. I love Jim Mitchell. Oh, he's so good. And then though. 30 seconds later, oh man, I love Jim Mitchell. <laughs> I was never, you know what, I think I missed the Jim Mitchell train when I was getting into it. Was was he ever Black Rain's manager? Yeah, he kind of had this sort of stable against um, Abyss. Yeah. They, they did this storyline, you could tell that Vince Russo came into the company, where it turned out that Jim Mitchell was Abyss's father. Mm -hmm. And he was trying to have him committed to an insane asylum. And they, he brought in like a new a new version of Abyss called Judas Macias. Um, and they had a they had a, a, a doomsday chamber of blood match. I think was their infamous wow. one, which at the finish of it, the crowd were chanting "Fire Russo." <laughs> uh, He's over. He, and um, bro. Then they also yeah they have Black Rain, which was Goldust's in his very very dark days. Uh, Goldust. The the bigger days. Yeah, the very bigger days. Yeah. But they, and that was also the era of Relic. Which is that's the one I was trying to remember. Which yeah, which is killer, spelt backwards, as Mike yeah. today reminded you every single time he came <laughs> down to the ring, and that was kind of sort of like Jim Mitchell's sort of heel group for a little bit, but they never really got over. Mm. I think the most infamous thing they did, aside from the Doomsday Chamber of Blood match, was the barbed wire Christmas tree um, match they had on a, a Christmas episode of Impact, where they literally had a barbed wire Christmas tree hanging in the middle of the ring. But it was really funny because they kept trying to like whip people into the ropes, but then they'd have to stop to run round the tree, but then continue running to the ropes. Well, so it wasn't suspended above the ring. Yeah, no, it was suspended above the ring, but it also was too too long. Yes. Yeah. Wow. You just duck, surely. No, as in like it was almost touching the floor. Oh. Yeah. Oh man, when you said barbed wire Christmas tree, I was gonna kick back and say, hey, that's that's one objectively good idea Russo's had. No, he managed to screw that one up as well in the implementation. <laughs> yeah, it was really quite something. Um, mm. Very bad. Is that one of the more infamous um, 
Brian and Vinny Rance on <laughs> TNA was the barbed wire Christmas tree. Uh, Vinny has said it's one of the funniest things he's ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> well, watch him, Brian Alvarez, explode. No, the match itself is just like, as who came up with this? It's yeah. it's so ama- it's so hilarious in how bad it is. Uh, but back to Mitchell, he is good. Mm. I'm I'm very surprised he never like got. Well, I guess WWE were going through their no, well, they still are, their no managers phase. Uh, but I'm surprised he wasn't picked up by TNA for something bigger, or I guess his character only fits those darker, more supernatural characters. It's the same with Paul Bearer. Yeah. Like when Paul Bearer split with The Undertaker and then he split with Kane, they was like, oh, no, he can manage Vader or he can manage Mankind. It's like, mm, it doesn't really work as mm. well. Um, yeah, th- he's the sort of character that can only be attached to certain wrestlers although it worked when he was uh, managing Tajiri and Mikey Whipwreck in uh, in ECW yeah uh, but he, yeah so he's cutting this promo for Abyss and talking about how he is a monster on a war path and we see clips of him destroying Shark Boy during the Chris Candido Memorial Cup because they were tag team partners in that uh, and he beat down Rhino and he beat down Raven and that is where Sabu made his TNA return that was a cool like a cool spot in the recap package. Yeah. You know, the classic, all the lights black out, yep. lights back up. Sabu's in the air, please, oh. this guy. Love that. And then you get this really nice touch where, so you've got Jim Mitchell cutting this promo for Abyss, but now you've got Raven cutting a promo for Sabu because Sabu doesn't talk unless he's in WWE and they're like, well, he's got to do promos. Mm. Who's going to do promos for him? Um, and I love this line from Raven. He's like, when you are scarred this much, you no longer feel pain. And that's a brilliant line about Sabu. I mean, my note here is just, well, this should be fun. Yes. Yeah, you think, like, Abyss really is overlooked as a premier hardcore wrestler. Like, he's, he's, and Black Hole Sam's such a cool move. It is, yeah. He's a good wrestler. The boss man slam. Yeah, he's got a great look. Yeah. And, but I will say this, actually, yeah, when we were watching this with Laurie, I almost felt like he he didn't realize that Abyss was this sort of known to be this mm. hardcore wrestler and he almost felt like that Sabu was just doing all the hardcore stuff around him and Sabu, and Abyss was kind of like protecting himself and then I was like oh no this builds to a barbed wire steel like a barbed wire rope match and like Abyss is massively into his hardcore wrestling he loves it yeah when I think of Abyss I think of his face covered in blood yeah um, but I will say that in my early days of TNA fandom Abyss was a bit of a sticking point for me. Well, it's only because when you're trying to show to your friends that you want to get back Mm. into wrestling because you're into this new wrestling product and you really like it, uh, the second people see Abyss, they just go like, it's just an Undertaker, Kane, Mankind ripoff. He's He's like combined all three gimmicks into one and it just feels like a, like a cheap imitation. And I'm, and every time I'm looking, I was like, Sham kind. Yeah, and I'm like, no, I, I can sort of see. And I, at the time, I was like, I can sort of see why people don't like Abyss. And I remember that being on the online scene as well, people being like, he is a bit of, he's just an Undertaker knockoff. And it does feel like second rate. And it's a shame as well, because I think that's, that's a bit unfair on Abyss for us as sort of wrestling fans. But it, it, his character is, his mannerisms very mankind. His yep. look is very Kane. Yep. Uh, so, so that is there, but I... You know, he's different enough for me. Yeah. And I, I, I do like Abyss. And he was going to be uh, in WWE. I remember you made a video about it. I did make a video about it. Go find that in the archives. He was going to face The Undertaker at WrestleMania. Mm. And then he pulled out at the last minute. 
wasn't w- Abyss pulled out. It yeah. wasn't WWE changed their minds. No, Abyss decided at the very last minute he was going to stick with TNA. Because TNA were going places. I'm sure he doesn't regret it. I mean, he's, uh, got, he's got a backstage role there uh, today, so I'm sure he's fine. So Abyss's music is goddamn cool. Abyss music, yeah. Bam, 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 I mean, we've bam, heard it twice bam, bam. this time. That's Petey Williams. And he gets some pyro. He's just I've written here, he moves around like Kane so much. Yeah. But then when he gets into his more demented moments, it's very Foley. Very Mankind, yeah. Uh, James Mitchell cuts a promo before this match, and he says, Sabu, you may call yourself a hardcore icon, but now you're going to go head-on collision with a weapon of mass destruction. I love that line. Mm. It's great. And what a, a, you know, a fitting line as well, considering the date that this took place on. Um, and the, the war in Afghanistan that followed on from it. Yes. Yeah, and Iraq. And Iraq, yeah. I was, yeah. was going to, which one came first? I was <laughs> yeah. for a second. Uh, they, and that, yeah, he makes it a no DQ match. Yeah, he said, and I love this way. He's like, I'm feeling charitable. Mm. I'm going to make this a no disqualification match. Uh, that's a great heel line as well. It's like, I'm doing this because I like you. Yeah. And, and, it, it, and, and it plays into the benefit of his monster. And it, it it really like you know spoiler abyss wins yeah so that the idea that the young guy abyss is beating Sabu in Sabu's own kind of match it really gets over the younger talent yeah and I think that's well you know looking at this they this is a pay per view that's looking towards the future yeah and you've got to respect it for that and even with the Jeff stuff if the long term plan was to put over Brown that idea is there yep so these were the these were the optimistic days. <laughs> Yeah, lights go down. Sabu's in the ring with his equally awesome uh, entrance music. Mm. It's brilliant. Um, And I love there as well. Mike Tanay starts off this match saying, the referee's only here to raise the survivor's hand. It's not the winner's hand. It's the person who survives this match. And Abyss dominates Sabu early on, but Sabu uses a chair to start making his comeback. Uh, and, you know, and you know the way that Sabu uh, uses chairs. He just throws them at people with no care for their well-being. It's just like, have a chair, mate, and just throws it at their face. Yeah, there's two versions. There's the throw it at their face, and then there's the throw it at their face with Sabu following up. <laughs> So he just throws himself with the chair. Yeah. Crowds start chanting for tables because they're all dickheads. Uh, <laughs> and we talk about the crowd? <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, that, that gang of rowdy lads. Yep. Who, right in the middle of the hard God, they were having a whale of a time, weren't they? They were having a bundle. <laughs> like, they were just bundling with each other, kind of making a little mosh pit. Is it during this match? Crowd. Or is it later where one of them is crowd surfing? It's, that's later. That's later. But it, it comes up a lot that they're just... <laughs> Having a bundle. They are just they. They were not at church. They were just here for the free show. Do you remember those days where you'd just you know you'd just be hanging out with with your with your lads, and then one of them will just go bundle, and you'd all just jump on top of each other. It's an unwritten rule. Yeah, that's uh, oh, oh, school. School. <laughs> uh, but uh, Sabu leaps off the chair, uses that as a springboard to clothesline Sabu, and both men fall out the ring. Sabu gets the table, which of course it's TNA, it's DNA, so it falls down. <laughs> I, can't, I think that's Sabu's fault. That is not. Let's put that one on Sabu. He can't. He only set up one side. I, but it looks like he tried to do it, and then he just went and just collapsed, and he went. 
Nah, well, whatever. Yeah, Abyss had to set it up for him. <laughs> well, I thought Abyss, awkward. Abyss set it up a different table next to it. Yeah, and he was just like, well, I'll finish up. Half, yeah, half, yeah. half a job, Sabu. Sabu's gotten distracted by another <laughs> weapon. And he does a, Sabu does a big <laughs> somersault over the ropes onto the floor, onto Abyss. Yeah. Crowd are super into this match because why wouldn't you be? It's just, it's carnage around ringside. And then Sabu does a somersault over the ropes. To the, oh, no, I've just read that one. Uh, Sabu drop kicks Abyss back into the ring. And then Sabu hits this tornado DDT, which looked really good. Which he, was off of the, he jumps off the chair, walks the ropes, and then hits the yeah. DDT. And then ECW chant at that point. Sabu, I think we said this on our one night stand review, he is a wrestler that, like, 50% of the time, it's just brilliant. But then the other 50% of the time, he tries the same moves but falls down and yeah. then just goes, I'm just going to do it again because I, I land it 50% of the time, so <laughs> I'll just do it again, mate. But this time, well, not a single botch from Sabu. Yeah, well, you know, there's the, we literally just mentioned the table. But yeah, there's a... <laughs> That's hardly a botch. That's just Sabu going like, that can't be bothered me. Yeah, yeah. Abyss will do this. Odds were in his favour <laughs> this night. <laughs> uh, he sets up a chair and charges again, but Abyss catches him with a belly-to-belly over the ropes through the tables, which I thought was a really great spot. When does ability become probability? <laughs> so you're saying, is Sabu a great wrestler? Or is it just probability that, that he hits the moves yeah. that he hits? It's just a daredevil. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you can't, you can't you can't say a bad thing about Sabu mm. because Lord loves a trier. Uh, Abyss sets up another table and the crowd start chanting for thumbtacks because they're dickheads. You just wanted tables, mate. And they gave you yeah. tables. Uh, but Sabu hits him with a chair right in their head, Oof. which looked like it really hurt. And then Sabu hits the Arabian face buster, which is, of course, where you have a table and then the person is like hover, hovered over the table and then... Uh, Sabu jumps off but to land on you but also has a chair so it's yeah, like yeah. you kind of create a sandwich where the table and chair are the bread and you are the meaty filling mm. and uh, yeah it looked like it really hurt Fakador reacted quite badly to that one he was like I mean that just looks like it really hurts for everyone involved yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Sabu hits him right in the head with his steel chair Arabian face buster but he can't get the pin because he's too hurt uh, and he gets the three but Mitchell pull, uh, Mitchell puts Abyss's foot on the ropes in this no DQ match uh, <laughs> I didn't pick up on that yeah you're right Sabu grabs Mitchell which allows Abyss to take over he hits shock treatment which looks like it's a move that sucks again for both involved because it's Abyss doing a big seated jumping move where mm. he lands right on his coccyx and then the other guy lands like in the torture rack position which can't be comfortable to land on i've always liked that move though i think it does look like it would kill the person on top yeah it's like the rack attack yeah. 2.0 or whatever she calls it um and that was a move that you were like stop doing that nikki because your mm. knees are going to give in eventually um abyss like a baby face gets the thumbtacks because that's what the crowd wanted and i like this as well because he's trying to set up the thumbtacks but like Abyss, like Sabu's trying to stop him. But rather than do a move, Abyss just clobbers him in the head. It's just like this big overhand. And Sabu, and Sabu sells it brilliant, which is like, oh, ow. Yeah. And just sort of falls to the, like he just crumples to the floor each time. I really liked it. So he gets the thumbtacks out. The crowd go nuts because the crowd, the thumbtacks are all over the floor. Um, and like Abyss, He's trying to choke slam Sabu, but Sabu gets out of it. He tries to power bomb, but Sabu gets out of that. And then Sabu, being the valiant here, is tries to do a springboard, but Abyss catches oh. him with the black hole slam right into the thumbtacks. Fakador did not like that at all. He was like, yeah, yeah. because Sabu is not wearing a shirt. Oh, and you can see on his back that they're all in there. Yep. The little trickles of blood are starting to 
pour through. Looked like it sucked for Sabu. But it was awesome. I mean, yeah, that's so what they, good. They're both hardcore wrestlers. Of course, this is going to happen. And that was how the match ended. Abyss got the pin. And that's, you know, sometimes matches go on a little bit too long, especially hardcore matches. They don't seem to know when their optimum spot is. Yeah. This one ended at exactly the right time. I really enjoyed this match. Completely agree. I really enjoyed it as well. And actually, it was the fans did start crowd surfing at the end. So it was this match. <laughs> Uh, Brian Alvarez a figure forward right they teased bumping into the thumbtacks forever Sabu finally went for another triple jump moonsault but Abyss in midair caught him and drilled him into the thumbtacks with a black hole slam and that was the end of Mr. Sabu an awful grotesque spectacle and Sabu's back was filled with tacks two and three quarter stars from figure four Uh. Pro Wrestling Torch would say decent car wreck style match but it was but it was victimised by a repetitive formula two and a half stars from the Pro Wrestling Torch oh wow I think well, I think I like hardcore stuff. I loved it as well, it. yeah. So, I, I mean, nothing big, but like three and a half. That's okay. exactly what I'd have given it as well, yeah. Uh, we then cut backstage to Alex Shelley. He's with <laughs> Shane <laughs> Douglas, the franchise. We, 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 we were in my flat yesterday, and I was laughing genuinely at something. <laughs> and uh, I couldn't stop, could I? And it just turned into... <laughs> but then every time we did the Shane Douglas, <laughs> I, I laughed at the Shane Douglas, so it was just an infinite loop. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, here mm, we get. Here we get. Here we get one of the more controversial moments of uh, of this show, I suppose. Alex Shelley was teaming with Sean Waltman in the Chris Candido Memorial Cup. So the idea of the Chris Candido Memorial Cup, Candido had died uh, a few months early. He died in March, I think, at lockdown. Died uh, shortly. It was shortly before EC. One, one night stand, stand yes, because it? they did the tribute for yeah. him uh, there, yeah. And a lot of people were, were holding signs and stuff for Candido. That's right, That's yeah. Right, it was like a week before. It would, no, it was more than that. Was it, like, was lock, it lockdown is either in March or it was in May. Okay. So it was, it's either one of those two periods. But yeah, he died during the, well, not during the pre-show, but he got injured during like the kickoff show match, uh, went to hospital and, and just died. It was a really mm. shock death, so... He was with TNA, so TNA held the Chris Candido Memorial Tag Team Cup. And the idea was that because Candido was the manager of the the Naturals, who were the NWA Tag Team Champions, they would crown a new number one contender through this this uh, tournament. The idea being that because Chris Candido was also, he was a, a legend, an older guy trying to help younger guys, they would team up younger guys with veterans. So really you, cool idea. A really cool idea. So you had the rookie in Abyss teaming with the veteran in Shark Boy, and that was kind of like the, the dynamic they were going with. And this was won by Alex Shelley and, Short Waltman, and Sean Waltman, so they were going to have this match here at uh, Unbreakable. However, Sean Waltman decided that he didn't want to go to this show and just no-showed it. Everyone has speculated that he'd signed with WWE, but he hadn't. He just no-showed this event. It's, so people change. Sean Walkman's a very nice man these days. Yes. Uh, I, I had the pleasure of meeting him a couple of years ago, uh, and he was very, very nice. And he, he, he was completely sober, and, he, he, and you know, he's got his good show on uh, X-Pac 1, 2, 3, 60 and all that. But, yeah, this, this is a dickhead move, this, especially, yeah. like, considering this is a memorial thing. Well, and that's why Mike Tenay really is very upset by this whole situation. Um, so he, and I, I, that's the second time now I've said that so, you know someone no showed a TNA event. Um, I'll, I'll get to say it one more time. Mm. Um, but yeah, so Sean Woman no showed this, and but Alex Shelley's cutting this promo about uh, the you know I've, I've I've got this tag team match, but I've got no partner. But you know I'm Alex Shelley, and I'll I'll figure something out. 
I I thought he was going to come out with a a mystery partner, and they you know they use it to to like promote another guy. Nope. Well, no, no, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll come on to it. We're not, we're not there just yet. Um, and then it cuts to Tanae and West because the referees and the, you know the crew have got to clean out all the thumbtacks and all the broken stuff mm, that Sabu and Abyss it's a messy left there. Ring. So it gives Tanae and West a good amount of time so they can just cut promos on Sean Waltman. How disrespectful it is for not showing up and helping the younger guy in Shelley. This is supposed to be a tribute to Chris Candido, a man who gave his life to this industry, and he couldn't even bother showing up. Well, initially, I thought that they were kind of treating this as a, hey, we know that Sean Waltman's a dick here. You know Sean Waltman's a dick here. But we're not going to expressly say it. So Mike Tanay starts talking about, hey, if there's one thing you can use, one word that perfectly encapsulates Waltman, it's unpredictable. And he was unpredictable tonight, and he he hasn't shown up. And they were being, like, kind of the better man about it, as it were. And then Don West starts to just go, he's selfish. And then like, but it's still quite, it's still relatively subtle considering what would come later in the match he was supposed to be in. Yeah, I almost wonder if they were probably frantically calling him, Mm. being like, you are coming, right? Yeah. Like, we're waiting for you to arrive. Like, it almost felt like they were pushing the match back because it's second to last, isn't it? Third to last. Third to last in the end. Yeah, it's almost (laughs) like we keep pushing this back in case he does show up. Did, uh, did it did it ever come out why he did no show? I think he just no showed it. Just no showed it. Yeah, as I said, a lot of people thought he was going to WWE or to sign a Legends deal with them or something, but no, he just, he didn't do that either. That's he no showed it. Though. He was at um, Slammiversary only a couple of months ago for TNA, competing for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, mm. uh, World Heavyweight Championship, the World's Champion um, for the NWA Championship, and um, yeah, he was in the uh, the King of the Mountain match. Oh, really? Yeah. And he would have been in the tournaments. In fact, well. he was the one who cost AJ Styles the match, uh-huh. really, because he X-Factored AJ off the ladder while AJ was climbing up to hang up the belt, which is how the King of the Mountain match works. Mm. But coming up next, we have got a match that, I'll be honest with you, oh. I was quite looking forward to. But in the end, it was something very, very different. It's Jeff Hardy versus Bobby Roode, a match that you can actually see today in WWE. Yeah. Yeah, they haven't been on the same brand yet, have no, they? No, they were on. They, Jeff was on Raw, Raw while Bobby they, was on, and now they've swapped again. Mm. So we could see. I mean, I don't know where Jeff is these days or whether he is retiring, but there's a possibility we could see this match. And I would wager that if they did this match now, despite it being 13 years later, would be so much better than the match we got here. Jeff Hardy effectively mentally no showed. <laughs> He's Sean Walkman's this yeah. match. Yeah, he. Uh... I, I, I've not got my time. So he was with WWE and he left WWE because of substance abuse issues. Yeah, no, this would be before that. Oh, oh, no, right. so, oh, no, you're right. Yeah, so he's with WWE. He left them because of these substance abuse issues. And then he went to TNA and he became like one of their Which top. Which now. Yes, yeah, like, he became like one of their top guys right off the bat because he's an ex-WWE guy and that's the way it works in TNA. Well, and Jeff Hardy's a huge and name. And he's a huge name. So he was always kind of in that mix. He was never like champion. But he was always in that mix of things, like he was teaming with AJ Styles and Randy Savage to take on the Kings of Wrestling and, and things like that. So he was always very much like one of their pushed guys. But then he went back to WWE around 07, 08. Oh, yeah, around 07, 08, And I then think, yeah. left again 09, 10 in that feud with Punk and then went back to TNA for the... Uh, the ill-fated live experiment on Monday nights. Yes, and then the infamous uh, match against Sting. Mm. And then only returned... 
This year, well, last year, yeah, with the Hardys to WWE, yeah, and he had like you know that his final run in in TNA was his final run in TNA was probably the best of the lot, really, considering he'd been there for so long. Mm. It was easy the best thing he did because it was better than when he was Willow or when he was heel Jeff Hardy as the TNA champion, which was an absolute disaster of an experiment. And it was yeah, it really was Matt's having the the broken yeah yeah gimmick effectively saved Jeff's career in TNA because it was going nowhere. Mm. Like he really was a bit of sort of floundering. So so here he he's still super over, particularly with the ladies. Ladies do love Jeff. There was the screaming like crazy. This was a new Japan audience when Ibushi comes out. <laughs> It's that kind, but he and equally he also has his rubbish hair. Yeah, he looks rough. Yeah, oh, he doesn't look, and he, he's got his awful music that he's written himself oh because God. he's an artist. It is garbage. Yeah. It's so rubbish. And like he's done a good job on the face paint. He's very good there, but like the rest of his attire, the hair's all like straggly. And it looks like he's accidentally awkwardly dyed his shoulders red as well. well yeah, or sunburn. <laughs> yeah, Laurie said while we were watching this, it looks like he's just dyed his hair backstage, but like hadn't had time to kind of wash it off. Because yeah. he's got like hair, <laughs> hair dye on his shoulders, is on his hands. And I was like, oh, he's probably wrecked some towels backstage. And I'm like, oh no, I've ruined a towel. You know what? I've forgotten. His face paint is rubbish as well. Yeah. I had it. I had. I must have got it confused with SmackDown this week or something. I've got here on my notes. It's that silver spray paint. Yeah. It's just like he's huffed some spray paint, and he is he is chewing. It looks like he's chewing gum. Yeah. Uh, and like, you know, like the 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 lower jaw is moving independently of the rest of him. Yeah. And just speculatively, that is something that happens when you when you taken a certain kind of narcotic yeah i mean i i, I w- didn't want to speculate towards that but i was thinking along the same sort well, I'm of just saying that's like that's similar to yeah. what happened yes exactly uh, i'm not saying at all that's what happened but here. much like we said with walkman jeff's in a much better place now and um you know yeah, with, dr- his DUIs. with his duis aside he is in a he's in a, a <laughs> bit of a better place he's now. in a relatively better place that's yeah that's a better way to put it and um i mean you can go watch the the, the hardy's documentary that's on the network is really really good especially the dives into jeff's rougher tna days which i I find i found really fascinating so let's try and go through this so like jeff does a dive onto rude and i mean i've written here clearly my notes were not that much into it i was like hardy does his trademark hardy moves it almost felt like a best of you know like yeah whisper in the wind but it just all hit rude in the face like there there were very few moves that jeff did that were good yeah this was a bit like going to see a band that you really liked from 20 years ago, uh, yeah. but they're now all 20 <laughs> years older. They're all a bit past it, and they're just doing a best of tour, but the best of doesn't sound as good as it once mm. did. This wasn't like when I saw Stone Temple Pilots before Scott Whelan had died, and Scott Whelan was absolutely on fire, like he hadn't aged a day. No, this was like a really sad like aging rocker oh, i thought you were gonna have a another another band to, <laughs> to have your allegory there no uh i mean i've written here these two move in slow motion like oh, it's, there's an awful it's, bit it's like they're underwater and that's not bobby's fault no. bobby is like he's he is trying tr- his hardest because there's a bit where 
Bobby goes to do his move, but Jeff is just like either slow or out of position and just doesn't turn around quick enough. And Bobby just kind of has to like pull his punch, take a weird half step and then go for the move again. There is a moment. Yeah, there is a moment during this match when Bobby Roode whips Jeff into the ropes and he walks like he he doesn't run. He doesn't jog. Mm. He walks against the ropes, hits them and then walks back. It is sad to see. It's rough going. Really is rough going. Petey Williams comes down to try and create some smoke and mirrors. It almost felt like this was done on the fly. Just like, Jesus, get get out there, Petey. We need to save this. So he runs down and he pokes Jeff Hardy with the the hockey stick with the Canadian flag. Rude tries for a superplex, but Hardy pushes him off. Rude, to his credit, then leaps back up to hit this belly-to-belly off the top rope. It was probably the biggest spot of the match, really, and it was great for for Rude. Uh, Petey Williams distracts the ref. Rude tries to use the hockey stick, but Hardy ducks and he knocks Williams off the apron. Hits the twist of fate on Rude, but Rude rolls to the outside. Jeff dives off the top rope to the floor onto both Rude and Williams, and then he backdrops Williams, and then Jeff Jarrett runs down, and he hits Hardy with the hockey stick. Uh, he rolls Hardy back in, and Rude pins him. I mean, I thought Rude looked like a chump in this match. It, like, it's meant to be sort of like a big yeah. win because you just pinned Jeff Hardy, but it took two other men to get it done. And an illegal object, yeah. Yeah, and, like, and even then, it wasn't even your teammate that did it. You know, it was someone, it was the much bigger star, the, the impact, um, Spike TV's favorite wrestler, Jeff yeah. Jarrett, that, that won it for him. <laughs> this was not a good match. No, no, not at all. And it's almost like, so the opening, ta- the opening six man, that was just like, that was a bad match. But I never thought it was going to be anything special. It's an opener. Yeah. But this is Rude versus Hardy. And it's almost, it's not, it's just as bad. It, no, it's a worse match because it's, it, it's not as well worked, even for that opener. But it's just like, it's even, it's disproportionately more worse because it's disappointing. Yeah. And, yeah. and this is like, because they clearly had big plans for Rude. They saw PD as the X-Division guy. They had Eric Young and A1 as the tag team. Yeah, yeah. But Rude, they really wanted to push as a, as a singles guy, which evidently they did because he stuck around with the company and became TNA world champion. So they clearly had sort of like eyes on this guy being like, he's going to be a big thing for us. <laughs> so we want to put him into this match with Jeff Hardy. He can work with Jeff, get the rub from Jeff Hardy and, and get a big win over him. But it does not work. Absolutely. And like, and I, none of that is Rude's fault. I think yeah. Rude tries his best in this match. Oh, yeah, yeah. But... It's there's only so much you can do. Kona Ibushi managed to get a better match out of inanimate objects, but that's because the inanimate object worked with him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what did what did the well, sheets give it? So the figure four would say uh, Brian Alvarez clearly not a fan of uh, of mm. Jeff Hardy. The charismatic enigma nickname has got to go. The concept of a babyface referring to himself as charismatic in the year 2005 is right up there coincidentally with a babyface referring to himself as Angelic Diablo, which was Matt Hardy's uh, uh-huh. gimmick that he was trying to get off the ground when he got released by WWE. He was no longer Matt Hardy. He's the Angelic Diablo. He missed that one off his retrospective tweet. That's <laughs> because it, no, it went nowhere. Um, do you remember when Matt Hardy did get released and there was a TNA pay-per-view coming up that Sunday? And he was like, hey, you just don't know where I'm going to show up. I might not be busy this Sunday. I might be going somewhere. And it was like, oh, my God, Matt Hardy's going to TNA. Like, no, he just signed with WWE again. Uh, he called this, uh, Brian Alvarez called it very basic match. The timing was off, uh, was off 
on half of what they did. Rude was constantly either too early or waiting for things that Hardy wasn't in position to do yet. I blame both guys. Oh, wow. Star and a half from Brian Alvarez. Pro Wrestling Torch, the ending gave Hardy a reason to seek revenge on Jarrett later in the night while also allowing Hardy to lose without damaging his credibility. Two stars. Wow. So that's two stars. And he gave uh, Abyss... Sabu two and a half, so almost on the same level for the Pro Wrestling Torch there with Mike Johnson. Wow, Not Mike Johnson, uh, Wade Keller even. Yeah, I gave this three quarters of a star. Yeah, I think that's probably about fair yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah, I might have gone like half a star maybe, yeah. but yeah, three quarters for just for Rude alone, I guess. So, uh, coming up next, we have got our Tag Team Championship match. It is Team Canada versus The Naturals versus uh, We Find the Defendants Guilty, America's Most Wanted, and Shelley. Alex Shelley and whoever's going to be his tag team partner. Here's a video package. They've got the numbers game against the Naturals. What? AMW? AMW cleaning house. Can, can you believe that though? America's most wanted. Think about coming that. to assist the Naturals. Naturals, everybody knows in TNA those tag team belts Jimmy here holding really belong to America's most wanted. That's right, but we will never be able to solve that. So we take care of that one common problem, which is Team Canada. The simple fact that the four of us stand side by side today to serve notice to you, Team Canada. Yeah, they're handing the belts back to Chase Stevens and Andy Douglas, but you know what? Oh, look at them. They're not ready to let loose of a Maddie. Is it mutual respect or is it mutual hatred for the Canadians? <laughs> now, Chase. Oh, did you see that kick? And he sent it on the ring. Already landed on both teammates and opponents. We're going to get things in order. We're going to take A&W. We're going to take Team Canada. We're going to take the winner of the Chris Candido Memorial. We're going to put them all in the ring with the Naturals. Make it a four-way elimination tag team contest. Last tag team alive is going to be the champion. Corner mount by Shocker. Look up there, Shocker, as he didn't talk to the match. played that video package <laughs> that is that is an awful awful video package it is not a good video package whatsoever it is it was edited on the day probably about an hour before it aired and they were like oh we need to do a video package what have we got we can sort of like frankenstein all of this together because there are about 25 different stories they are trying to tie up into one match here with with mostly incoherent clips with over-the-top editing it's like so you know like you you go onto youtube and you're all a top 10 moves of chris hero on the indies yeah i'll click on that and it's got like all these stupid effects over stuff and you know, i just want to see the moves why have you got it all distorted here why is the screen flashing back and forth what is this music you've got underneath uh yeah this is a terrible video package and i had no clue what was happening with anything <laughs> afterwards. If you weren't there with me, I, I'd be like, so 
What? Yeah. The idea of this, the idea of video packages is to gently remind people who have been keeping up with the product, the, the product, what's happening in this feud, and to act as like a gateway for brand new viewers so they can have some investment in this match. Yeah. Um, did the promo with Jimmy Hart and the Naturals help? No. No. <laughs> no. It was a it was a lame, lame promo. So Jimmy Hart, of course, he's fine as a promo. Uh, he just does Jimmy Hart stuff. But then America's Most Wanted come in and they just cut such a lame promo. So you're like, okay, maybe the Naturals will answer and bring this up. No. They somehow manage a lamer promo. Yeah. The 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 acting is wooden. Uh, the lines are, are scuffed. What's um, Brandon Walker? Uh, Brandon Walker, Chris yeah. Harris. The wildcat Chris Harris. Yeah. Uh, he says, you boys know down deep. <laughs> when he was obviously yeah. trying to say deep down. down. Yeah. You, kn- you know down deep that we're going to win. Yeah. It's down deep I did know. And it kind of works, but it, it came off like a, a flub. Uh, d- d- James Storm is by far the best thing in this. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, and he's just saying his catchphrases. And he was not meant to be the star of the team. Wow. They were, Chris Harris was going to be their guy. That's who they were going to push coming out the back of this. And in fact, when America's Most Wanted did split up, James Storm just sort of almost went off into obscurity and, until he got the team with mm. Bobby Roode's beer money. Wildcat Chris Harris was pushed into like feuds with Christian and like top guys in TNA because they were like, he's going to be our next big star. Yeah. And then he went to WWE and appeared on ECW as Braden Walker. Knock, knock. Who's there? And then... But the Braden Walker that showed up was not the Chris Harris of TNA. That is enough to get a best of video. (laughs) That's one of my favorite. I'm not the biggest YouTube guy, but that is one of my favorite videos that has ever been posted online. It's so funny. It's a, yeah, for for those of you who don't know, it's just someone, what was he there for, like two weeks? he, He had two appearances on WWE. Uh, he had like the the promo and then a match the following week and then it was never seen again. But someone put together like a three disc DVD advert for like Braden Walker in WWE. And it's so funny because they've got clips from like other WWE DVDs just like, he was a legend in the business, yeah. man. Like, <laughs> what an impact he had. <laughs> and then featuring all two of his matches. Mm, very, very good. It's really good. But uh, so, okay, so to try and give you some clarification on story. Okay. So, Naturals are the tag team champions. They mm-hmm. were managed by Chris Candido. Got that. So they are very much the baby faces. And because Chris Candido died, they've got another new manager in here. It's a one shot deal. It's Jimmy it's Jimmy Anvil Nightheart. It's Jimmy Hart. Mm. It's you know, it's it's Jimmy Hart. Hey there, you know, you know, the a legendary manager in this industry. And they have had a long standing rivalry with America's most wanted, AMW. Cowboy James Storm, Wildcat Chris Harris. The Naturals, by the way, and I will get this probably wrong. I used to take the mick out of Brian Alves for it, but I realized why he had such difficulty with this. It's Chase Stevens and Andy Douglas. I think Chase Stevens is the blonde one. Um, so they've had this long-standing rivalry over the belts. They've swapped belts on a numerous occasions. But they also have a common enemy in Team Canada. No one likes Team Canada. No, because they're Canadian. They're made, they came from Canada. So on at Sacrifice... They had to put their differences aside to face off against the four-man team of Team Canada. But of course, their old rivalry sparked up again and Team Canada got the victory and they had a bit of a scuffle and things like that. And uh, 
they, Larry Sabisco announces that they're going to be there's going to be a four way. He announced this to Shane Douglas, who's chuckling along with him. <laughs> uh, Larry Sabisco announced it's going to be a four way at Unbreakable, so it's going to be America's Most Wanted versus the Naturals versus Team Canada versus the winners of the Chris Candido Memorial Cup, and that's where we are for this match. Mm. I apologise, the video package did a poor job of that. Yeah, uh, it's um, so this is what they keep on doing in this pay per view, and it's. That's quite a simple story, and I kind of could have worked that out by myself, minus the sacrifice spot where they had to team up. I, yeah, I could work that out. But the way they explain things makes it more confusing. Case in point, they have uh, TNA love to do these little infographics before a match. The taglines. Yeah, just a few bullet points to, to explain the feud. So it's a four-team elimination match. Yep. I know what that is. There's four teams... Uh, only two men at the ring at any one time and you pin one guy that team's eliminated goes down to three teams two teams one team and the last team's the winner now they explain (laughs) this with an infographic that says taglines point one there are four teams point three sorry point two there are three eliminations (laughs) point three there is one championship team (laughs) and I was like what so what 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 is this match you stopped it was like what is this and i said well it's an elimination match and you were like well i know what one of those is what's this yeah like what what a overly complex way of describing something that's very simple well and that's the thing they use that the, the taglines are supposed to be there to kind of like for today to explain a little bit of the story as well so maybe like tag what like you know point one amw and the naturals have a long-standing history point two they both hate team canada Point three, Alex Shelley and yeah. Sean Waltman won the Chris Candido Memorial ba- uh, Cup. There, that's all you need. That's good. Yeah. But this was for the rules and it made, yeah. It's really quite simple. Yeah, it's like saying, okay, we've got a singles match. There's going to be two guys and one other guy who's a referee guy. And one of them's the champion. And afterwards, one of them will be the champion. Yeah. And they like, wait, so is this still a singles match? It's a singles match. It will feature one <clears throat> elimination. Yeah, huh? <laughs> the man who was not eliminated will be champion. Okay, well, I mean, that's, that's what I thought it would be, but <laughs> now I'm confused. You've made this too complicated. Anyway, anyway the so, actual match. So here we go. Brian Alvarez, uh, <laughs> not a fan of TNA tag team matches because um, he says it's always a four corners match. It just depends on which four teams it's going to be this month. Um, I think it's a bit unfair. Shelley's pants look very, very comfy. He also looks so 2005. Yeah. Yeah, he looks very 2005. This, there's, there's, you can't mistake, although some things are unclear, the fact that this is 2005 is not unclear. And, and I will say this as well, and the last thing on the AMW Naturals thing, you know how long we just spent talking about that? Does not factor into this match whatsoever. Mm, no. Absolutely does not factor into oh, this match God, whatsoever. This is a bad match this is. So uh, Chris Candido's family are at ringside because obviously you know it's been for the, the Candido Memorial Cup. Um, and I've written here that this is the most over Chris Harris ever was, but I'm not sure that's correct. I thought actually when he did break out as a single star and he had his feud with Christian, he had a cracking ladder match with him at a pay per view in a few years time. Um, I was actually a big mark for Chris Harris. I did think he was the breakout star of AMW. That's yeah. only because that's what they told me. Um, but then, yeah. Then those were the, the days when we believed what believe the promotions what told Absolutely. Us. But I became more of a fan of James Storm uh, in the end. So we actually do start off with AMW and the Naturals. Oh, sorry, uh, can we talk about how the, the Candido family at ringside, they're looking 
a range between disinterested and angry. Mm-hmm. As Shelley came out, yes, they cut to them who won their their deceased son or brother's tournament. Yes, and like I, th- it just looked to me like they were annoyed at Shelley. <laughs> I know, I know they're trying to get over that they're annoyed at Waltman for yeah. not showing, but uh, yeah, it came off really weird. And that she- Shelley doesn't have a partner, by the way, folks. Yeah, he he wrestles by himself. Uh, yeah, which yeah. he quite... Bearing in mind this is an elimination tag team match. So AMW is a natural start, uh, but Shelley blind tags himself in. And I'm here going like, mate, I know your pants look comfy, but mm. you're on your own. Like, to stay on, the, stay on the sidelines for as long as you possibly can. Yeah. In a kayfabe world, that would make the most sense. And they're putting over that Shelley's a, such an in-ring technician. He's a really smart, he's a student of the game. His gimmick was that he watches so much, so many wrestling tapes from around the world. So he's got this real hybrid style. You don't really know what he's going to do next. And he, they eventually took that far too literally. And he would start coming out of the ring and start filming matches. That was his gimmick I for a little that, while. Yeah. Um, and that's when he got into the tag team with Austin Aries as Austin Starr. Because actually he was a cameraman. Austin Star is this flamboyant star, mm. and they were vying for Kevin Nash's friendship. It was a mm. weird storyline a couple of years later, down the line. Um, so he's resting his own. Eric Young tags in, and there's a portion of the crowd that are super into A1. Now this was obviously your first experience of A1, and I said to you, he's a big bumbling oaf who just somehow became a wrestler. Yeah, and you said, <laughs> and you said, I mean, the crowd seem into him. Yeah, and that, that I didn't know that that's because he goes drinking with them. Yeah. It's remarkable how much a crowd reaction can change your perception of a wrestler. But that doesn't hold up for long because quality does rise to the top and the opposite sinks to the bottom. Well, I've written down here, he does take a bump off his own shoulder tag. <laughs> but um, not, not in like a, wow, that was such a forceful move I just did. In a, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah, it's very pathetic. It is, yeah. Um, there's a nice bit when sort of like Alex Shelley's trying to tag in the naturals, but like they keep avoiding the tags because it's elimination rules. And the naturals like, don't want to tag in just yet. I want to sort of, you know, leave ourselves on the side here and tra- stay as fresh as possible. It is terrible ring psychology. So what happens in this match is, yeah, you've got that to the babyface team. The only heel team work all the way through this match don't they just the team you're supposed to hate the most eric young is a workhorse in this he's match he's the iron man here. he is he wrestles about 95 percent of this match and there are four teams yeah and it comes down to team canada versus the naturals and you're like well team canada have beaten they've two been, other teams they've eliminated with. two teams at this point and now they're at the like the sort of conditioning disadvantage against the naturals well so fresh yeah and I'm meant to cheer the 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 favourites. What you automatically go behind the underdogs? Yeah, natural. Oh yes. Yeah, so. Uh, so Team Canada work over Alex Shelley, and this is where Tanay just starts to bury Sean Waltman. Yes. Uh, Shelley hits a double team move on uh, Team Canada. Obviously not a double <laughs> team move. He hits both of them with one move, and this is where we get um, the the Candido spot of the match, I suppose. Mm. Candido's brother Johnny is he's very upset because Alex Shelley's on his own, so he stands up. And he he leap, he jumps over the guardrail and he leaps up onto the apron and he wants the tag. And Alex Shelley tags him and the referee goes, I'll allow it. Yeah. And Johnny Candido gets in. He hits some clotheslines. Um, he looks even more 2005 than Alex Shelley does. Uh, he kicks a one, but then Young, it's a low blow and he pins him. 
And then Tanae goes, so is Alex Shelley eliminated now? Yeah. So he, yeah, Tanae's like, what's going on? It's, uh, it's, it's, there's a nice moment after the clotheslines where Candido does quite an emotional salute to his brother. Yeah. And that was genuine and, and very, very sweet. But, I mean, it, then it goes straight back into this is a cluster F of a match. Because not only have you got, you know, just a bad ring psychology, whatever A1's doing, you've also got 10A just shooting on Walkman yep. over and over again. It, oh, awful. So Team Canada next work over James Storm. A1, I've written here, A1 is a big lumbering wrestler. Young floats over, but Storm catches him with the super kick. That was a nice spot. Uh, Storm gets the hot tag to Harris. Uh, Harris, okay, this is where I think you were talking about. I've written, Harris and A1 collide. I think A1 did a move, but he also bumped. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't, why don't they just do a gauntlet match? Because, yeah. because you're not, the, the tagging between the four corners never plays into it. It's like, here's two teams, one team eliminates the other, another team comes in and they face off. So it was just, yeah, yeah. they're really badly laid out. Harris hits a stalled suplex on A1, which was quite impressive, but then A1 uses the hockey stick on Chris Harris and uh, Eric Young rolls him up for the win. AMW are eliminated. I've written here, you've built the whole match around AMW versus the Naturals, so that's weird. Yeah, that's, ugh. And, I mean, I know they would do, because AMW do win the tag titles, I think at Bound for Glory, or they might win it before Bound for Glory. I'm almost certain they're champions before they debut on Spike. Because it was, you know, that it was like uh, Jarrett had to be champion. Mm. I think it was also America's Most Wanted had to be tag team champions. I almost feel like that was another part of the the deal. Makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. Because that's what TV executives ask for <laughs> uh, when they're signing t- uh, deals with the wrestling companies. Yeah, Naturals, you, you'll notice that we haven't said anything that the Naturals have done in this match because this is the first thing they do. They're so fresh. I genuinely forgot Jimmy Hart was at ringside. All of a sudden, Jimmy Hart just shows up. And I was like, where's he been? Yeah, he's on the megaphone. Yeah. And then... He starts a USA chant. Yeah, and then, like, uh, Team Canada knock him over. Yeah. So it's... Okay, so now you're trying to get the babyface heat for the Naturals. But what? And then I've written here, somehow, Team Canada work over the Naturals. Team Canada, who have been in this match, even A1, big lumbering A1 has been in this match more than Chase, Chase Stevens and Andy Douglas. And yeah, Andy Douglas hits a high knee and he gets the he he gets the hot tag. They do a hot tag spot. The, they've only been in five minutes. <laughs> it might even not be that. Uh, so Chase Stevens gets in. He hits a slam on Eric Young and A1 hits a power bomb on Stevens. Young hits a suplex on Douglas. Hart pushes Young off the top rope. He does an incredible um, like selling of it. Great sell job. And the Naturals hit the natural disaster and retain. <clears throat> not a good match. Not a good match. Not a good crowd reaction either. I didn't. I felt like. Well, no the one crowd really well, and why would you? Because it's so weirdly booked. It's so backward from a psychology standpoint, psychological standpoint. Mm. I did not think this was good in the least. Yeah, yeah, I, it was. It was a bad match. Yeah, bad match. Brian Alvarez um, absolutely uh, buried the Naturals, obviously, mm-hmm. um, and a one. Uh, but he would say, "Blonde Natural got a tag even colder than the one Apollo got earlier in the evening." <laughs> Uh, Eric Young went up top for the Doomsday device, but Jimmy Hart crushed him on the top rope, and Young did the greatest job of selling anything I've ever seen in my life. This added an entire star to the match. Naturals <laughs> then pinned A1 to win. God bless Eric Young. Two stars. It is a really good sell. He, he, he like you know he lands with his dick on the top rope, yeah. and he almost in one fluid movement. You know how like Ric Flair does the the flop forward. Yeah, he does that. 
onto the apron. Yeah. But really, physics-wise, his legs should be on the other side <laughs> of the rope. It's so good. There's another set he does earlier on where he just... He's, you know when you kind of spasm on the floor? The Devon Dudley selling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's doing that, but it looks like he's dry humping the ground. <laughs> uh, Young's very good surprise, surprise. It is good. Pro Wrestling Talk didn't have anything to say about it, but gave it two and a quarter stars. What is going on? <laughs> Standards were very different back then. Things have not aged well. Come on, Wade. Yeah. Honest to God, man. Two and a quarter stars. That is a quarter star less than the, uh, the, the Abyss versus Sabu match. Mm. Come on, man. If you don't like hardcore stuff, though, I can see if you would go that way. But at least that works from a psychology standpoint. What did you give it, more Uh, importantly? One and a quarter. Yeah, that's fair. And that one star's all for Eric Young. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so Shane Douglas then interviews Rhino backstage. Um, This is is quite cool, really. And uh, Douglas says that... um, I mean, I've said Douglas here, but I think it's Rhino. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, uh, Douglas is talking to about Rhino, and he says, oh, you must have been waiting for this shot at the NWA World's Champion for a long time. And then Rhino starts shooting on WWE, mm. essentially. He calls it four years of wrestling hell, and he's not going to have any of his scripts written for him by phony Hollywood bitches anymore. Yeah, he tell- no more corporate ass kisses. Absolutely. He tells Raven that he is going to bleed and cry tears of blood. He's got one word for you. Pain. It's there's a real ECW feel to this era of TNA. Yeah, and I suppose that's a smart thing to do to bring in that lapsed fan, especially after One Night Stand. Yes, exactly. I'd uh, agree. And, and you've got like this Raven Rhino match. Yep. Uh, the Dudleys would be in shortly after. They would. They've been released at this point yeah. by, by WWE, so they're on their three match or their three month non compete uh, at the moment. But yeah, mm. they would debut for TNA on the first episode of their Impact show on Spike. Um, beating uh, up AMW because AMW would align themselves they turn heel shortly after this and align themselves with Jarrett as the new planet Jarrett and of course you got Douglas there yeah so I, <laughs> I like that and that the ECW stuff's good yes so coming up next it is our world championship match it is Rhino the challenger versus the champion the best wrestler of all time ever Raven <laughs> 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 Shane Douglas <laughs> turn around Raven beats you, and you're going to wait one year. So for the month, you step aside, let me have your shot, let me take on Raven, I'll win the belt, and I promise you, you'll be the first to mind. I promise you. You got the title shot. Here you go, you're coming to make the After I beat Raven at Unbreakable. There is a reason why I am the world heavyweight champion. He's got a pizza cutter! Oh God! He's got a pizza cutter that he took to See, I like being Rhino. I may be weird. I may be eccentric, but I like pain. And I know I can't say the same about you. Rhino, you may be the man beast, but I am a human cancer. And I will eradicate you. Quote 
about the Shane Douglas laugh <laughs> it's like you start doing it and then you laugh that you've done it I, I can and amuse and it, myself for a while but on then that. when you laugh at it it <laughs> makes you want to do it more <laughs> so uh, Rhino debuted in uh, in TNA as Jarrett's heavy essentially he has this point when like Raven's in the ring and Jarrett's cutting a promo and he's like I got two words for you turn around and Raven turns around and he gets hit by the gore. Doom, 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 the rhino gore. And then that led to a tag team match at Sacrifices. It was, <laughs> it was Raven and uh, Sabu against Rhino and Jarrett. And Larry told Jarrett that he needs to pin Raven in order to get a shot at the championship. But if Raven pins Jarrett, then he can't have mm. a championship match for 12 whole months, which is madness for Jeff Jarrett. So the whole match is built around, is Jeff going to pin Raven or is Raven going to pin Jeff? But none of that happens. In fact, Rhino pins Raven. You thought you were going to zig and they zagged. And that's very good. Very good. And that means that Rhino became the number one contender. So you've got now this sort of tension between Mm. Rhino and Jarrett. Jarrett brought Rhino in essentially to help him get the title shot. But Rhino's the one who's now getting the shot. This would eventually power for Bound for Glory. But that was sort of accidental. Um, And and I like this Raven's, because Raven's the best promo. He says that he likes pain. And he says that Rhino may be the man beast, but I'm a human cancer. Raven's promos are otherworldly. Yeah. It's just... It's not cutting a wrestling promo. He's so naturalistic, and he's just talking. But of course, like it's there's it's the difference between realism and naturalistic. Like realism would be, um, uh, yeah, and just mean this is this is realism right here. This is real. <laughs> uh, but naturalistic is is being able to feel realism. But there's actually a lot of sheen and polish and theatrics going on there. It just doesn't feel like it's in your face. And that's what Raven does. It's, it, it's yeah, yes, yeah. very good promo. So, and there are serious tropes in this video package That's as well. That's the one problem. <laughs> the story's good. Raven's promos are excellent, but way too many strobes. I said to Fakador, who's familiar with the TV world, I said, that's going to fail the Harding test. <laughs> and that the Harding test is something you've got to run everything through to make sure the cutting rate or the yeah, like light flashes aren't fast enough to, so people don't have epileptic fits when they watch TV. Uh, and yet th- there is no way this would pass. Yeah. Absolutely not. But I am well into this match. I mean, at the time, well into this match. I was an ECW guy. I'm a Raven guy. Big fan of Rhino. I was so into this match. I will say now, though, in the cold hard lights of 2018, this does not feel like a world championship match. And I don't know why. Hmm. Maybe it's because it's not 1998 anymore. It's 2005. And when you look at some of the other guys that are on this card, like the match between Ares and Roderick Strong and the match that we're going to have in the main event, 
it almost feels a bit like this match would have been at one night stand as a nostalgia match. Well, that's it. And, and with the hardcore stipulation and all the spots. Yeah. It, and, you know, five years really after both men's ECW prime, it feels, yeah, that's the perfect way to describe it, I think, a nostalgia match. But then it's weird that then that's your top title yeah, yeah. and that's what they're sort of fighting over. And like Brian Alvarez says, like, it's weird that it's not the main events. And I'm like, but it doesn't feel like the main events. The, the three-way that we're going to get, that feels like it should have been the main event of this show. That felt like a bigger time match than this <coughs> does. And I, and I love both guys. But we also get the, uh, the tale of the tape. Rhino has the weight, ad, uh, the weight advantage. Uh, and apparently, there are lots of people that want to face Raven, which we heard earlier in the night. A bullseye on Raven <laughs> is the exact word. And I love these little infographics. They're so useless. Yeah. Uh, Rhino <laughs> gores Raven at sacrifice. That was another one. And Raven's rules. So this stipulation was only added on the countdown show. It's a Raven's Rules match, which means it's hardcore, but it's also Fool's Count Anywhere. Yes. So it's a Fool's Count Anywhere match. Yeah. It's like, you know, in WWE where they've got, one, you know, they've got 12 names for the same match, essentially. Enter location here, Street Fight. Yes, but a Street Fight is different from a No DQ match, which is different from a uh, Fool's, Fool's Count, Count Anywhere, anywhere match. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... I mean, my first notes here are just Raven is the best. He's just the best. Yeah, he won the title at Slammiversary. Raven, when he came into TNA, he was one of like, the, the early doors TNA guys when he came in. Uh, Raven, uh, McMahon fears Raven is the infamous sign that people had in the crowd because Raven had been released by WWE. And he had always talked about he was on a quest. It was his, it was his journey. It was almost his mission in life to win the NWA title, the title that sort of evaded him his whole career. And so that's what he's always wanted to do. And it finally happened for him at Slammiversary because he was added into the match late in the day because I think Jarrett got taken out of the match on the pre-show and Raven got added into the match and he won. And it was this big title celebration that Raven finally, it was, he's finally completed his quest. It was his mission and he finally did it. Lovely. Who did he beat, sorry? Well, it was the King of the Mountain match. So it was five guys in there. It was Raven... Um, but who AJ, was the champion? AJ Styles. Oh, like, oh yeah, of course that plays into yeah. it later. AJ Styles, um, and there was Sean Walkman and two other guys who I can't think off the top of my head. Um, you, which you'd think I would know because I watched that match so many times over and over mm. and over again because my boy won. So he won the uh, the title uh, at Slammiversary, and he's coming out here with his shopping cart of gimmicks. It's his WWF gimmick. Yeah, he's got a trash can in there. There's a Jason mask <laughs> yeah. as well that he chucks into the ring. No wonder he was so over with me. Yeah. There's a really cool bit where, the, so the match is getting ready to go. Rhino's there holding a kendo stick and Raven's there with a chain. And you're just like, oh. It feels a bit like yeah. Street Fight-ish, yeah. Uh, and Raven, like, he's got nunchucks and he throws trash cans. Um, and he, he gets a broom handle out and he starts doing some, like, kung fu trips, mm -hmm. uh, tricks with the broom handle. Um, and then he just hits him with a crutch. And then we basically use our, our first blood of the match where he uses a pizza cutter to oh. bust open Rhino. And the crowd starts chanting, where's my pizza? Um, he then starts hitting him hard with baking sheets right across the head. And he grabs a ladder. But Raven, but Rhino swings a beer keg at him. That does not look gimmicked. <laughs> like, there are some things that you sell, oh, this is really heavy. Yeah. But... That looks like a genuine, really heavy beer keg. This is not like Beer City Bruiser. No, 
Yeah, yeah. Where his is like made of tinfoil, so it's easy for him to carry down to the ring. Or like the steel steps that vary in how heavy it is depending yeah. when you pick it up. Or with if Tess is carrying them. Yeah. Big oaf. Um, but yeah, this does look very, very heavy. And he swings it at Raven and he hits him twice. But when he swings it a third time, Raven ducks and he hits the post. It makes an almighty clattering yeah. sound. And I was like, that must, the torque on your arms was like, oh God, that really hurt actually. It's good kettlebell workout. Yeah. <laughs> Little CrossFit staple, that is. Talking of staples, hey. Rhino gets the staple gun out. There's a staple gun chant. And I've written here, oh, he only staples him in his head. Yeah, Where's it, the magazine? And it's clearly empty as well. Because the, like, the way to show that you're using real staples is to staple something into yourself. But when you do it with nothing, like it doesn't get as much a reaction. Because mm. I think the crowd is just like, yeah, it's probably empty though, isn't it? Um, there's oh, also- I was into it. There's, during this time as well, Raven was really trying to get over the ankle lock as his submission. Yeah. And no one ever bought into <laughs> it. Absolutely no one ever bought into it. Yeah, because he's locked it in once already at this point. Yeah. Um, and Raven, uh, Rhino like, charges the trash can into Raven's face and he face washes him. Um, uh, yeah, and he does the ankle lock again. That's when you get the staple gun spot. So um, Raven moves out of the way and he and Rhino crashes into a chair. He tries to do the gore. I'd say the Raven probably moved a little bit too early, almost like Randy Orton and Jeff Hardy at Hell in a Cell. Raven starts making his comeback and starts hitting all of his trademark spots. You know the ones who do the routine. Raven sets up a chair, but then Rhino smashes his face into it. And then here comes Cassidy Riley, number one Raven fan. So Cassidy Riley was a jobber in TNA and he was being beaten down by, I think abyss yeah probably abyss could have been rhino as well but um raven came down and saved him he said because he's the valiant babyface. and cassidy riley was so thankful to raven he became raven's number one fan he became a raven obsessive and he would show up in the crowd dressed up as raven he would do all of raven's taunts and he would wrestle all of his matches looking like raven and trying to do raven trademark spots this storyline goes nowhere um, no way, because it's pretty good. It is pretty good. You'd think... There's a it, lot of mileage in that. You'd think it would lead to, like, the new flock. But it doesn't. They don't do the flock for a little while in TNA. Not until, like, 2007. And then they called it Serotonin. And that was Raven with Kazarian and someone else. I can't remember who the other person was. But Kazarian just record, called himself Kaz. Mm. Um, but, yeah, and, uh, the Serotonin was very much a, a pale imitation of the flock. Uh, anyway, back to the match. So Cassidy Riley comes out. Raven hits the re- the even flow DBT and has the match won. But he's just but Riley's distracting ah. the referee. Uh, Rhino uses the ladder on Raven, and Rhino sets up the ladder on a chair, and he tries the ten punch. But Raven power bombs him onto the ladder and the chair, and, and he it thinks, snaps the ladder. Oh, doesn't it just? Um, and then Ray- uh, Rhino like, grabs the sort of the ladder inside like, the ropes. Oh, we've got to we've got to talk about this spot first. Sorry to cut you off. Absolutely. After that powerbomb snapping ladder spot uh, Raven makes the cover which the referee counts despite Rhino's shoulders being nowhere near the mat they're still on the ladder hey man it's Raven's rules I guess it's fools count anywhere though exactly so man, fools yeah. can count if your shoulders are on a ladder yeah as long as your shoulders are down and then Rhino pop the shoulder up yeah yeah okay I shut up then. <laughs> yeah, but then like the ladder sort of gets halfway through the ropes because Raven's trying to set it up, and then Rhino does one of my least favorite things in the world, thanks to Jerry Mercury. The oh. the seesaw yeah, yeah. with the ladder right into Raven's face. Rhino grabs the shopping cart, and Pekador says he's really going to struggle to get that into the ring. Rhino does not struggle to get this into the ring. He just f's it all the way into the ring with like 
it's so easy for him to do because he is so powerful yeah, and could, so massive. If a keg was in there, wouldn't wouldn't matter. No. That would go in as well. <laughs> So the shopping cart comes in and Raven rams the shopping cart into Rhino. Rhino hits a low blow and he tries for the gore, but Raven dodges and Rhino crashes straight into the shopping cart. Now, fun fact, this was a spot they did in a WWF pay-per-view uh, in 2002, I want to say. I think it's almost want to say it's Backlash 2002. It might even be like, like Backlash 2001. It's usually a backlash, though. Over the Hardcore Championship, which may be, again, why I look at this and be like, mm. it's weird that this is your yeah. main title program when WWF, they were fighting over the Hardcore belt. Um, so, yeah, so Rhino crashes into the car. Jarrett runs down, and he grabs the belt, but Jeff Hardy stops the attack. Raven hits the Raven effect on Jarrett and also hits the Raven effect on Rhino. He beats two men. He wins. Mm. I, I've written here... It was actually quite a fun match. Yeah, I thought it was a really fun yeah, match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I started out being like, oh, God, what's this going to be like? But they got me into it. Uh, the shopping trolley stuff was really fun. Some of the spots were really cool. Yeah, and it was just a fun hardcore match. Uh, but afterwards, um, Jeff Jarrett comes out. Yes, so he comes out during the match because he tries to like grab the belt and he tries to hit Raven with the belt. But Jeff Hardy... Did we do this bit? Did we cover yeah, this? I covered this bit, yeah. Just now? Yeah. What happened to my head? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Because <laughs> I was like, I knew I was, you don't listen to as me. As I was saying, I was like, we just talked about this. Yeah, that's why I said Raven beat two men. Yeah, my mind skipped. Okay. Yeah. I know what I was going to say. Okay. Credit to Jarrett. Because I know there's, like, really, he shouldn't be in the main event. But he did, he would book himself, he would get his receipt a lot. Like, yes. he was made to look stupid multiple times on this show. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I would say credit to Jarrett in those days. Yeah, I think that's himself weekly. Yeah, effectively. I think that is fair enough. Uh, figure four would say good finish to a numbing match. Uh, two and a half stars. <laughs> Come on. Pro Wrestling Torch would say brutal hardcore match, but nothing separated this match from similar TNA matches. Two and a half stars. Wow. What say oh, you? I three and a quarter. I think that's fair enough. Yeah, yeah I think that's absolutely fair enough. So as we said earlier, Jarrett would uh, win the belt at a house show just before October, uh, which is when uh, TNA went over to Spike. Um, yeah, so a bit of a sad end. They called it, like, I can't remember where it was, but they, they tried to play it off as, as this new screw job. But again, that never played into anything either. Je like, Raven was essentially removed from the uh, the title scene. He, he was never back in the title picture weird. after this. So weird. Um, and he like at Bound for Glory. He's in a uh, a Monsters Ball match, the first ever Monsters Ball match. Do you remember what the original gimmick of the Monsters Ball match was? No. The original gimmick of the Monsters Ball match was that for I believe it was forty eight hours before the match, the competitors were held in a room with no windows and no <laughs> natural lights and no food and no water. So the idea was that when they're finally released from these rooms, they're all like, oh, it's bright lights everywhere and they're hungry and they're crazy because they just want to win the match. And, they, and that means it's so brutal now. That was the original gimmick for uh, Monsters Ball. I think it only lasted for that one year they did. Like, that was only in effect for the one year. That only works for Abyss's character. Yeah. But I remember Raven coming out of like the tunnel being like, oh, oh the lights. Oh, oh, the lights on my eyes because I haven't seen natural light for two days. Because one gimmick isn't enough. Just <laughs> keep layering on gimmicks until you can't see anything of substance anymore. <laughs> it's obscured by gimmicks. I mean, it's a ladder match, but what if you had to hang the title up? Oh, better yet. What if you have to pin someone 
in order to be able to put the ladder, put the title up. Ah, but what if the person that you pin <laughs> has to go into a sin bin? Oh, yeah. But what if that sin bin, you're only in there for a minute? Oh, man. Imagine if there's more than one person in there. What could happen then? Absolute rubbish. <laughs> it's a battle royal, but what if they start on the outside? I used to, in my TNA fanboy days, I would kid myself that that was a good match. Man, no, it's really good. It, yeah. it's, it makes it really dramatic. <laughs> Yeah, what was on about? Did you ever hear Sanjay Dutt talk about that match? No. He hated that match. And you know me, he did a shoot interview once where he was like, it's the dumbest match I've ever been a part of because <laughs> there are times when you could you could just easily get into the ring, but you're not meant to get into the ring, so you just sort of have to stand there and you just look like the biggest idiot because you're like, why aren't you getting in the ring? So you try and, as a wrestler, you're trying to find something to distract yourself from getting into the ring. So it's very difficult to work. But coming up next, we have got our main event of the evening. It is for the X Division Championship. It is the Fallen Angel Christopher Daniels versus the Samoan Submission Machine Samoa Joe versus the, the phenomenal AJ Styles. Now we're going to see who's good enough to face Christopher Daniels. How lofty are your dreams? A timeless battle rages. What are you willing to sacrifice in pursuit of destiny? One not just the flesh and blood. How high are you daring to fly? Out of spirit and principalities. How low will you stoop to embrace selfish desires? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The noble. But against principalities. The fallen. The gospel, according to the fallen angel, who will step up? Muscle Buster, we oh, this is just me. This thing is breathtaking. Oh, it's devastating, this. and he's got the no man. That just tears me up every time I see it. Who will be our shining light? Who will be TNA's saving grace? How does anybody even consider doing such a move? Will it be the real definition of animal instinct? He loves to use moves in combination. Somebody stop that! This guy is such a force! What was that stiff? Oh, he needs some smelling salts right there. He doesn't even know where he's at. The moral reprobate, Raven? Will it be the guitar-carrying trickster, Jeff Jeff? The man who holds that responsibility, who bears that burden, who carries that cross, that man is me, and me alone. at my best if I'm always looking over my shoulder for AJ Styles. I can't keep him out. If you can't keep him out, let him in and see what happens. Let's make it a three-way dance. Now, more than ever, I am Mr. TNA. My heart has six sides, and it beats eternally. TNA, TNA, TNA. I pose the question to our fair-haired golden boy, AJ Styles. Irresistible Island Force Samoa Joe. The Island 
actually believe in your heart of hearts that you are the man to curb my desire, my desire, my will, my spirit is unbreakable. So if one tournament wasn't enough, they also had the Super X Cup going on at the same time, which Samoa Joe won. He beat AJ Styles in the finals of the Super X Cup at Sacrifice last month, which earned him this title shot. Joe is undefeated at this point. He's never been pinned, never submitted in TNA. Granted, he's not been there very long. He only debuted at Slam at Slammiversary. Oh, really? I thought it was before then. No, no, no. It was Slammiversary who made his debut. So only a couple of months. He's only been there a little while. Um, but at this point, he's already massively over. Oh, he's fantastic yeah and the video package really puts over how devastating he is but Larry Zbysko added AJ Styles into this match because AJ Styles has always been a thorn in Christopher Daniels side so uh, he makes this a triple threat match <laughs> Daniels is the <laughs> X Division champion and at this point and it's interesting as well because this ties into a stat we first heard at Destination X 2011 on this podcast mm. Christopher Daniels is the longest running X Division champion and it's at this point in one continuous reign yeah, yeah. and it's only six months yeah he said it's nearly six months <laughs> <laughs> so it's not quite six months yet but like what nice little full circle that's mm. been for us uh, so yeah he's the longest champ at this point um but there's a sign in the crowd that caught, like when everyone starts making their entrance love Christopher Daniels music by the way the the beautiful people there's a sign in the front row though that calls him fallen Barbie which I don't really get. No. There's a better one that says Samoa Joe is pro wrestling. Yeah, well, there's a sign that also calls him Shamu Joe with, a, with an arrow that's pointing towards SeaWorld. It says, like, SeaWorld <laughs> is this way. Well, and, I, and I've written it, I don't like that fan. I, well, I've written, Joe looks a lot thinner than <laughs> he does these days. Yeah. So he is looking trim here. Yeah. He, looks re he looks in great shape. Impossible body standards in 2005. Absolutely. I bet that fan was the absolute... You know, a Herculean body example he was. Well, he's the sort of fan now that says, like, Kevin Owens shouldn't be champion. He's too fat. He can't, he can't wrestle. It's not, it's not believable. Uh, so it's just... what This this is the match that made TNA. Really, it, that's absolutely right. It so is. It came at just the right time when TNA was... It was getting some momentum. It was getting a lot of people talking about it. Particularly as you were just about to debut on Spike. But yeah, this was the match that made everyone stand up and go like, oh, let's, let's take a look at this company. You need to order the replay to see this mm. match. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, see the match uh, and then in the next coming years just slowly move away from what made it special and get over. Yeah. And focus well, we, on WCW and XWWE guys. Well, yeah, not too long from now is when Kevin Nash gets involved in the X Division and sort of makes it more about himself. And, um, and the idea for that was that he would eventually... He spent the whole time going like, well, the exhibition guys are small and I'm quite tall. So clearly I'm a bigger star and you're all very small. So he used to make them do like a lots of comedy matches and make fun of them a little bit. He was, I think he was like the general manager of, of um, the exhibition or something. And the idea was eventually Chris Sabin was going to win whatever tournament this was and he was going to beat Kevin Nash. And that'd be, he's not the small guy. He beat Kevin Nash and Kevin Nash no showed the event. So the paper, so the storyline mm -hmm. had no conclusion. Kevin Nash is one of the smartest men in wrestling. He made himself look like an absolute star in that storyline and unbeatable and then just didn't show up what he had to lose. Yeah. Great. 
Yeah, so this match starts off. Back to this one, though. This one is... This is a great match, on the other hand. Daniels... I love this. So Christopher Daniels starts off mouthing off to both men. Yeah, He's just being yeah, like, yeah. I am better than you. I am better than you. I'm better than both of you. I'm the X Division champion. I'm the Fallen Angel. <laughs> and both men just beat him down. It's absolutely awesome. And then they essentially have a competition of who can kick Christopher Daniels in the back the hardest. It's really fun. This is the kind of spot you get at house shows, not, you know, like, like the indie shows these days. Mm. It's... It's remarkable how well this dates and holds yeah. up to today's standards. There's a there's another weird Daniels stat. He's 33 years old at this point. 13 years ago. I know, and he's a 12 year pro. Right. So like you think the 2005, he's already that far into his career. Yeah. It's just crazy to think how where these three guys are now. Samoa Joe's where he is. Yep. AJ Styles is where he is. Well, you know, feuding together on SmackDown over the second top title in WWE. <laughs> yeah. And Christopher Daniels, as much we love him, really never got out of that TNA Ring of Honor scene. And now he's essentially a guy who puts over other guys. Yeah, I mean, there was always those rumors that he was going to be the higher power in WWF. Uh, he was going to be the person who was in control of The Undertaker as the fallen angel. Um, he was one of the conquistadors um, yeah. during the their storyline with Edge and Christian and the Hardys. And if I remember correctly, he's in Beyond the Mat, isn't he? Like, yes. like having a WWF tryout. tryout yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's crazy to think. But yeah, here we are, 2005, and then 13 years later... Yeah, it's a bit, bit of a weird... I always felt really bad for Daniels as well because out of the three guys in this match, he's the one that never really got the main event rub either. Yeah. AJ and Joe both... Like AJ's already been a multiple-time world champion in this company and Samoa Joe would be in the title picture very soon and have that classic series with Kurt Angle and yeah. things like that. But Christopher Daniels was... He'd be reduced to being Curry Man or he'd be Suicide. Mm. Uh, just, you know, just kind of stuck in this X-Division mold. I think the, the highest he ever really got was tagging with AJ. Uh, when they were the NWA Tag Team Champions. Uh, and uh, Addiction were really good. Oh, that's quite later on with Kaz. Yeah, but even then, they were never like yeah. like the top guys. It's, uh, it's a real shame because Daniels is the complete package. He really is. He, he wrestles so well. He is a very good promo. And just the way he presents himself, he's, he's got a really good eye for... And, and so it's very... I think he bases himself a lot on Grant Morrison. Mm -hmm. and how Grant Morrison, the, the comic book writer, presents himself, in, just like he always seems like he's doing something iconic. Uh, yeah, so, like, just the, just his attire yeah. feels big time. So, I yeah, I'd, one of the most underused people ever in I'd wrestling. Say, I would I completely say. agree with that. And it's even crazy to think that it was only very recently that he won his first ROH championship. That was a hell of a story. Hell yeah. of a story, though. 15 years in the making. Yeah. Love that. Uh, but, yeah, so Daniels stands up uh, and he's like, so AJ and Joe have been wailing on Daniels, see so you can kick him the hardest. And then Daniels stands up to both of them. He's not a chicken S-word like heel. And he mouths off again. Where well, he, he shouts, stop kicking me. <laughs> And Joe goes high with a kick and AJ goes low and just completely wipe him out. The crowd are insanely really hot. What a great start to the match. Yeah. Like, it tells you everything you need to know about everyone's character as well, but especially with Joe, because Joe's like, just kicks Daniels oh. in the back so hard. Points at AJ, points at Daniels' back and goes like, see what you can do. Yeah. And AJ's like, okay, I'll see what I can do. Yeah, yeah. And he gives him a big kick. It's not as hard as Joe's. And Joe's like, come on, mate. Like, this is how it's done. 
and then keeps everything you need to know about these characters in one spot. Loved it, it. It's quite campy, but this is like the best kind of wrestling camp for me. I, I think this is yeah, yeah, really fun open. AJ and Joe start exchanging pinning combinations, but Joe shuts him down with submission Ooh, holds. It's really, really into good. A Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Daniels breaks that up, but Joe kicks him out of the ring. Joe kicks AJ deep into the corner, um, but Daniels DDTs Ed, uh, AJ, and then he kicks Joe in the process. He does that thing where you grab one of them by the head yes. and you sort of run around the other person. I really like that. A big chop by Joe on Daniels in the corner, and then he gives one to AJ. He tries to throw AJ into Daniels, but AJ dodges and he chops Joe instead. It's it's really hard to kind of recap this because we're trying to do it spot for spot, but it's so quick and so fast. And it's one of the matches we didn't pause mm. because it was very difficult for you to pause while it was on your laptop uh, yeah, at the yeah. other end of the room. The uh, it, and also like all three, usually in a in a three way, you have one guy outside for long periods and the other two wrestle a normal match but here and that does happen in this match but they make a real real effort to have all three guys in the ring and the spots include all three and it's just it's fascinating to see what they come up with yeah aj whips daniels into a uranagi by joe that was a really cool spot yeah. and then aj hits this awesome head scissors on on joe big clothesline in the corner by aj to daniels he tries it on joe as well but joe just catches him and overhead suplexes him just like like he's nothing just catches him and throws him over his head really really great into the turnbuckle as well oh so so good joe tries to face wash uh, christopher daniels but daniels pushes him out of the ring and then he does a split-legged moonsault to the outside onto samoa joe and then aj does a springboard shooting star press on the outside onto both guys yeah off the top rope yeah uh, and it is like that is perfect yeah it's th- it is a perfect shooting star press off the top rope. And both guys catch him absolutely perfectly. Oh. All three of them knew exactly what they were doing. And it just looks so spectacular. I just wish the camera stayed on it. Because it cuts almost immediately, like foreshadowing Kevin Dunn for 10 years later, to this red-headed lady just going, holy S-word, <laughs> holy S-word. And her face does not look like she's into the chance. No. Should have cut to the Jeff Hardy fan. She'd have yeah. been well into it. Although it's not Jeff, I suppose. But then they have an they have an actual replay of that spot, and I think that might be the first in match replay of the whole show. Yeah, you All might the be other right. replays yeah, yeah. are at the end of the matches. Yeah, um, I thought it was amazing. And like Don West says it right. He says you couldn't, you can't hit it any better than that. No, no. absolutely. And I think he's right. Uh, Joe runs into a drop kick by AJ Styles, but Joe whips AJ into Daniels. And I think I've got this wrong here. And I was trying to, as I was writing this the notes, tough, yeah. as I was writing the notes, I was like, I'm almost certain I've written this wrong. <laughs> Writ it. Joe whips AJ into Daniels, who monkey flips him back towards Samoa Joe, and AJ Styles does a Hurricane Rana on Samoa Joe. Is that, have I got that right? So you got the two people the wrong way around. Okay. Joe whips Daniels into AJ. Daniels hops up onto this in the corner in the turnbuckle. Uh, Daniels monkey flips AJ out of the corner. And AJ does a hurricane runner onto Joe. That's where I got it wrong. It's a really, really good spot. One of those spots that involves all three men in a, in a go. Yeah, that was one of those spots where you watch him and you're like, oh my God, that was incredible. And then you go to write it down and you're like, God, it was too incredible. I've kind of <laughs> forgotten what it was. Uh, Daniel drops AJ over the floor who lands belly first. The camera barely catches him doing it as well. But like AJ was in this period of his career. Um, just sort of like didn't really care. He was just like, I'm going to take these crazy bumps now while I can in this mm. period of my life like the the very first pay-per-view they did you know the ultimate x where you got the the ropes 
yeah. that you have to climb across. There's a really infamous moment where AJ's crawling across the ropes and Saban does this drop kick off the turnbuckle and he kicks AJ and AJ just like with the momentum swings backwards, let's go, and does this big back flat back bump right from the top of the X. Jesus. Oh man, it's such a heck of a bump. And I remember I'm thinking about this not too long ago when I was thinking about both AJ and Joe. I was like, I've been watching these guys now for you know 13 years at this point because this is kind of like my first experience with Samoa Joe at the very least. So, you know, nearing 15 years I've been watching these guys wrestle. And, and I was thinking about it, apart from AJ doing the flips and stuff, I don't think he's really changed that much of a wrestler. No. But then when you go back and you watch these matches, you're like, God, there was a lot more that he did that he probably would not do now. But even then, I do think that he still wrestles more or less the same. So does Samoa Joe. Yeah, it's uh, they've definitely matured. And yes. Like we talked about earlier, it's just they've added that fight. Not much has changed. They're still 95% the same. But they've just finessed yes. that last polishing bit of five percent. But I, the thing that struck me here was how wide AJ's move set is, yeah. and how fewer, how many fewer moves he does now. Yeah, like there's no spinal tap now. Spiral there's, tap. Sp- sorry, spiral tap now. There's no um that like that. He'll do a springboard off the middle rope backflip into a reverse DDT. Yeah, he doesn't do that anymore. No, he he did that a little while back. I remember being like. God, he hasn't done that move in a while. Yeah. It, was, it was almost like surprising to see him pull it out of his arsenal. But like AJ had so many moves like that he could win with. Yeah. But now WWE have just... He just really the styles clash. Not even the calf crash are that often anymore. No. And, and it, the yeah. phenomenal forearm. And like, you know, he now does sort of like the, the Ushigoroshi instead as like one of his key moves. Mm. And even like the torture rack powerbomb that he did on Samojo at Hell in a Cell. I remember thinking at the time like, God, he doesn't do that move very often anymore, yeah. does he? It's really, really cool. But yeah, I, I thought AJ was awesome in this match. And it's crazy to see him as well with his short hair, completely clean shaven, yeah. shaved chest and everything like that. I mean, I know it's 13 years ago, but it may as well be 25. <laughs> he looks so young here. Uh, Big Knee sends Joe into the corner and Daniel strikes, but Joe fires back. Daniel tries a roll up, but Joe catches him in the clutch. And AJ breaks that up with the spiral tap, the aforementioned spiral tap. And... He just lands that so rough on all on both guys. Well, there is no air, <laughs> so this is uh, you know the, the spiral tap is kind of what, like it's a twist. It's like a corkscrew splash. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, corkscrew it, splash. You would expect to jump upwards to start spiraling, and then you would come down on the descent. AJ doesn't jump up; he just projects himself down into the canvas. It is falling yeah. with style. Yeah. Um, Daniels jumps AJ through the ropes and he hits a reverse STO on Joe. He tries for the best moonsault ever, but AJ pushes him and traps him in a tree of woe. And then he just starts kicking him hard while he is in that. Joe charges into the corner and he knocks AJ down. And then Joe hits this running drop kick on Daniels in the corner. Mm. Holy hell. Crowd start chanting, this is awesome. And Mike Danae goes, you're damn right, this is awesome. This is like the crowd for the last few minutes and now just... They're at peak noise. Yeah. They are so loud for everything. Uh, It's just a completely different atmosphere for the rest of the show. Yeah. And that This Is Awesome chant. If I'm right, the one night stand match uh, between Tanaka and Awesome was the first time that this match rules. This match match rules. rules. And that was the first time that This Is Awesome chant had been done. So this must be like one of the first early incarnations of the chart. I think it happened in TNA, like on previous pay-per-views. Oh, okay. But it, like, you know how now it just happens in every match? 
when a, this is awesome chant broke out it's because what was yes. happening in the ring was awesome now it's just like someone does a you know a drop kick this is awesome mm. you know or this is wrestling something like that so i think that this is still you're right this is like pure this is yeah, awesome yeah, yeah. so it's when it meant something <laughs> uh where do we get to um daniels lays out aj with a drop kick and a senton splash uh, Death Valley Driver by Daniels on Samoa Joe, which is really impressive. AJ mm. breaks up that pin. The crowd are split here as well. They're just like, you can just hear pockets of people chanting for, for different guys. Because all three guys are over yeah. in different ways. Like, no one, that's why this match works so well. There's no, if any one of these guys won, everyone would be like, fair play. That's yeah, well deserved. Yeah. As opposed to in WWE, we're like, oh, that guy won. Yeah, Ugh. yeah. And then comes perhaps one of the most infamous spots of the match, which is AJ and Daniels are fighting on the outside. Now, it's sort of like they exchange, I've written here, they exchange dives and jumps. Mm. Like they'll be whipped into the, uh, the ring apron, they'll leap up and do a moonsault over yeah, the other one. Yeah. And they sort of do this and kind of jumps. But then here comes Samoa Joe who charges and he does a twisting suicide dive over the top rope onto both guys. Incredible. That was insane. It's like, and as I've written here, I didn't think Joe had changed that much as a wrestler, but I don't think he's doing twisting corkscrew cork, cork sentons these days. It's it's an it's an incredible spot. It's like it's like a defining. That's that's a spot that should live in whatever promotion it was is was is. <laughs> uh, it happened in. Like their opening sting forever. Forever, yeah. It's a it's a it's a great spot. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of moves, he doesn't do that much anymore. Joe tries for the muscle buster, but oh. Daniels fights him off by raking the eyes. AJ gets up top with Daniels, and Joe climbs up and he just grabs both of them and just suplexes them off the top rope. Then she just launches both of them. It looks really cool. The Joe crowd and I- are going nuts now. There's oh, a man. TNA chant. People are waving scarves around in the crowd. <laughs> like whoa! Like they don't they. They can't find the, the, the appropriate outlet for how excited they are. I'm going to take off this scarf. Yeah. yeah. I feel like this is what you and I were like during the Keith Lee Ishii match at Rev Probably. Pro last year. Probably. Um, where are we? Uh, Joe and AJ start to slug it out, and AJ just starts firing up, but Joe fires back. That's and really good, that bit. Joe hits this amazing delayed German suplex. As I'm, I've said on this podcast a lot, I love delayed German suplexes. I think they look so cool. And it's right on AJ's neck. Oof, yeah, isn't it? Just. And then he picks up AJ and hits a muscle buster on him. I love the muscle buster as a finishing move. And then Daniels runs in with uh, the title. This is the only bit of the match I didn't like. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I wasn't keen on this. Daniel runs in with the belt. Uh, but I, actually, no, I did like this bit. So Daniels charges at him. Joe just catches him. Power slam. Yeah, like the snap power slam <laughs> yeah, Randy yeah. Orton style. Absolutely. That Randy Orton stole from mm. Samoa Joe. Uh, Joe grabs the belt, but Daniels kicks the belt into Joe's face, which actually was also a really good spot. Maybe I did like this bit. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'm just thinking, I'm just, I Brian Alvarez did for a second <laughs> there. Uh, AJ and Daniels start exchanging forearms, and then a sit out powerbomb by Christopher Daniels, an STO by Christopher Daniels, and then the BME, the oh, best moonsault ever. It's Love beautiful. that. It's yeah. so good. It really is the best moonsault ever, because unlike Kurt Angle, it actually hits. Mm. Uh, or Charlotte Flair it actually gets this one Joe breaks it up uh, we're back to kicks by Joe but Daniels blocks the third one and I love this because it felt like Daniels baited him into the third one so he could catch it and hit the jawbreaker and hit the last rights which uh, we more likely know as the crossroads and he sends Joe out of the ring AJ hits his moonsault reverse DDT onto Daniels and then they do a superplex spot with Daniels onto AJ and then Joe tries to pin Daniels and AJ who both kick out at two Powerbomb by Joe, and he transitions that in into an STF. Um, the mic was picking up Daniels and Joe talking here, but mm. I couldn't really make out what they were saying. No. 
No, you said to me, it's like, is that the microphone picking them up? Yeah. I, like, I think it is. It's like, it's they're obviously talking to each other, but you're like, you can't make it out. Yeah. But they're definitely going, next spot. Yeah, it's almost like they're like, you've probably got five minutes until go home. Well, and this was like, the there were only five minutes left, and they all three men were kind of selling the exhaustion now. Yeah, really. Like, those forearms that we spoke about with Daniels and AJ, mm. was like, it wasn't quite like Tanahashi Okada, where you've really sort of got nothing behind, and then, why you fire up? But it really was, you can tell that they haven't got the full force behind them at this point. Torture Rack Bomb that I spoke about earlier by AJ Styles. Daniels headbutts AJ Styles and then slams him onto Samoa Joe. Daniel, I've written here, Daniel tries something, but AJ scissors him into a pin and then goes into the Styles Clash. It's like a, a around-the-world luchador hurricane rana thing but yeah some somehow <laughs> it ends in a styles clash yeah absolutely love the styles clash um daniel uh, blah, 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 blah. joe breaks that up joe throws aj out and he runs at daniels but daniels dodges and samoa joe crashes out to the floor Dan- it's back down to daniels and aj again and they exchange uh, punches but daniels rakes the eyes mm. and he goes for angel's wings but aj flips him over and rolls him up and he gets the pin Daniels cannot believe it. He's been pinned. We've got a new champion. AJ Styles is a five-time X Division champion. Yeah. Daniels is selling it really well. He's going crazy that he's lost the belt. Protects Joe. Like, he's still undefeated, really. He, you know, hasn't been pinned. Yeah, well, um, uh, when we were... Well, this match was announced, my friends and I was like, well, I mean, they put this in here, so, you know, AJ can win, and it doesn't uh, it doesn't hurt Joe. Yeah. He, he's still got the undefeated streak. That's exactly what they did. And Joe looks terrifying. Yeah. He's so pissed off at ringside. Absolutely. Uh, like Suzuki pissed. Like, oh, God, <laughs> I want to turn off the TV now. Yeah. So it's it's an incredible, it's it's well, it's a, a historic match, really. It really is. Uh, next pay-per-view, um, it would be AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels in a 30-minute Iron Man match. And Samoa Joe would open the pay-per-view with an exhibition match against Jushin Thunder Liger. Holy moly, our best mate, our uh, biggest fan. Our biggest fan. Figure four would say these men are on the short list of guys in this business who cannot have a bad match if they tried. Seriously, imagine Christopher Daniels, Samoa Joe and AJ Styles trying to have a bad <laughs> match. It would be so awesome. Yes. A hell of a match, the, the, which more than saved this show. It saved about the next five shows in a row. <laughs> Four and a half stars by Brian Alvarez. Ah, okay. Uh, the Torch would say one month after Samoa Joe and AJ stole the show on the August TNA pay-per-view, they were joined by Christopher Daniels and one-upped their performance with a 23-minute classic and sure-fire match of the year contender. The match delivered everything you could possibly ask for in a wrestling match. Amazing high spots, unbelievable intensity, unique exchanges, fired up crowd smart pacing four and three quarter stars Mm. from the pro wrestling torch what say you well that's interesting i thought they were going to be higher scores especially alvarez's Mm -hmm. uh because i i was going to give it four and a half yeah uh because like i think at the time i would have given it five yes at the the time it was like the greatest match i'd ever seen yeah but now in 2018 it's four really it's kind of like four and a quarter yeah, yeah. Uh, because I do think it lacks a bit of selling mm-hmm. because it's so fast paced. Uh, but uh, yeah, but just kind of like just for the epic, iconic feel, I gave it four and a half. I think that's good. Yeah, I think that's that's very fair. Um, yeah, I mean, as I said it was, at the time, excuse me, it was it was the greatest match I'd ever seen. Mm. I, I'd never seen anything like it. And I was like, this is just spectacular beyond belief. And I would argue as well that. I mean, yeah, it was, uh, as Wade Keller said there, it was, it was sure fire to be on the shortlist for match of the year. 
I would say almost it would be match of the year, like a match of the year contender in 2018. If people saw that match today, they'd be like, I think that's, that there'd be some people, particularly if that match happened in WWE, yes. there'd be people that yeah, would say, yeah, yeah. that's a match of the year contender. Yeah. Uh, on an ROH but then show. you watch G1 well yeah as I mean like if it, if it happened on ROH or New Japan or something like that people would be like that's just another great match in yes. this company yeah, yeah, yeah. but if that match happened in WWE or in NXT I think there'd be people talking about that being a potential match of the year mm. and and I think if that WWE would have slowed it down a bit which I must say would have helped it mm. uh, yeah just yeah. to give it a bit more selling here and there like make it Make it a thirty-minute match. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I could certainly another seven minutes wouldn't have hurt the match no. at all. Um, but, but and you don't need any more spots. You just yeah, slow, slow it, it down. Yeah, sell a little bit. Like we were talking about those that forearm spot between AJ and Daniels. Like you could really Tanahashi Okada that of like you know the really slow forearms, mm. do the yay boo stuff. I think you really could play that up and play the crowd a little bit as well. Yeah. So that was TNA Unbreakable Woo! 2005. Our first, I would say our first proper TNA pay-per-view because yeah. that Destination X 2011 was very much a nostalgia show. Much in the same way that One Night Stand was. That was kind of meant to be the sort of celebration of the X Division. Um, so, you know, it's 13 years on. What did you make of the pay-per-view? This is your first time seeing it. Yeah, so I really... I enjoyed the top, the, the two main events, uh, the, the Raven Rhino and the three-way. Like, really enjoyed. And I really enjoyed the strong Ares match. And I just enjoyed the whole time capsule that this pay-per-view is mm -hmm. with the Jarrett stuff. And But like, it is comically bad. At, le at least you can find some humour in how bad that four-way tag and the Jeff Hardy match. And not, I mean, I know we've uh, recorded this in two batches, but the uh, the Kip James, Monty Brown, uh, Apollo oh, Lance Hoyt match, and the six man at the start. Yeah. Like, there is more bad on this show than there is good. <laughs> <laughs> but I've got to say, man, I, I had a blast watching it. And that might be nostalgia goggles for me, I'll be honest with you. It might just be because I've got such a fond memory for this period of time with TNA. And actually, you know, any TNA pay-per-view from like 2004, 5, 6, 7, I would probably say like, I've got such nostalgic feelings towards. But yeah, I had a blast watching it. And, and it really was down to that, oh, I remember this. Oh, I forgot that happened. Yeah, I was really into this at the time. And I, I was thinking about where I was when I watched this pay-per-view. And I was in my second year of uni uh, in the bedroom that I was staying in. And I was watching it on my bootleg DVD that I bought off eBay. And I was there and I was on the floor watching it because I was the best best position I could get to watch my TV. And I just and I, I, could, I could see the room vividly in my mm. head and like the s-hole that it was. Actually, it was quite a nice house in the end. But yeah, I've just got such... It, it really brought back a lot of nostalgic feelings for me. A nice oh. warm, fuzzy feeling. And plus, my boy was champion and he won. So, <laughs> five-star pay-per-view for, for me. So, I really enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed watching that one. Yeah, I mean... PWG, you know. Yeah, well, yeah. Would've, I, would've liked we probably would have had better wrestling <laughs> from from Pro Wrestling Guerrilla, let's be honest. But um, I think, yeah, for nostalgia's sake, this very much was. I'll be honest, I'm going to check out that match anyway. That that 10-man tag. Yeah, that sounds crazy. That sounds crazy good. So, October next. October next, which is Bound for Glory season. Bound for Glory. But last year we did this. It was Halloween Havoc season as well. And we did uh, Halloween Havoc 98. So maybe we'll take another trip down into 
WCW territory. Or what are the WWE pay-per-views in October? Well, it's kind of their flat month, really, isn't it? Because it's the month before Survivor Series, so it's just B-month stuff. It's yeah. probably Night of Champions or something Hell like that. Cell yeah, it could be. Yeah, it might be. Or maybe a TLC or something like that. That might be Tables, Ladders, Chairs and Stairs. Mm. Or that might have happened in December. I can't really remember. But, um, yeah, so th- I think there's, there's probably something. There's particularly, like, TNA and... WCW have got like the iconic shows, I suppose, because that's it. that's Bound for Glory season and Halloween Havoc season. But I'd imagine there's probably some WWF stuff that you can find in there, or WWE stuff that's good, or maybe some more pro wrestling guerrilla. Because um, unfortunately, we can't do any Battle of Los Angeles stuff now. No, it's in September. Well, you could maybe there's a progress show. Venture forth and research, SWAT Nation. Exactly, it's all in your hands. Uh, so thank you very much for listening, but thank you even more for being one of our awesome. $5 and above pledge hammers. We love each and every one of you individually, but we don't like love you any more than other people. We love you all the same. Mm. Um, but thank you again for listening. We'll be back uh, in a couple of weeks with Ramble Club for our $10 and above backers. But until then, take care. I love you. Goodbye. TNA's Wicked. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.